0: But dating apps is always, you know, dating apps are like lottery tickets. It's like, you know, even if the guy thinks that he has no chance, there's still a good, that you go on an app and then they say, you know, 47 women have swiped left on you. Do you want to find <laughs> out who they are? Uh, you know, pay $50 to find out, you know, like no matter how you, no matter how much, how badly you think of yourself, the fact that this app tells you that there's somebody out there that is interested in you uh, means that you're going to spend every now and then. Mm, and yeah. you're gonna try it because you, you do have medium-sized balls. yeah so nice.
1: <laughs> thanks for the reminder, <laughs> <laughs> <My logical laughs> reminder. So a logical reminder Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash F-R-E-E or wwwfiroco slash free. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Firo podcast. Uh, today, we have uh, Jonathan Troy back with us. Yep. Welcome, welcome. Choi Hi. Bo. Great Bo. Back.
2: Yeah, if people know his blog, Choi Bo.
1: Yes. So <laughs> yeah. uh, before we go into that, I have to ask, right? Like what uh, made you decide to uh, shave the hat?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, not botak, lah, but enough. But it was
2: botak, right? Was yeah.
1: it?
0: I was completely bota and I Uh, think I'll probably go bota again soon. uh But um, basically I I have a feeling that every girl in the world secretly wants to go bald. Okay. If not for the lack of beauty aspects. Okay. Because like I went bald because at first I was having some itching, whatever. I see. But the moment I went bald, it was a revelation in terms of the experience because your head just feels this intense. lightness (laughs) lightness <laughs> yeah. and and the air just flows around your head <laughs> and i was thinking to myself if i had just a normal amount of male hair maybe uh-huh. like around ming years, amount of hair and i go bald and i feel that how would a girl with like long hair feel if she ever goes bald <laughs> and uh you know like when we when I, when i was first about to shave bald i think i, I had my girlfriend help me shave bald. Mm-hmm. uh Actually that might not that we might go into sell me after this. <laughs> but <laughs> the hair clipper, right? Yeah. yeah. But we were I, I had my girlfriend shave me bald. Like the first time she was about well, shave me bald, I just I, I I kept stopping her arm multiple times because you're like, you know, I, I kind of maybe I want to still go out and see people, you know. <laughs> but after you go bald once, then you're kind of like, Wow, this is a incredible experience. Mm. So yeah, and then you know, your your hair washing is just like one drop of soup, soap, soap yeah. and then you just wipe one time and it's done yeah wow so it's uh it's it's oh I love it it's fantastic well, it was
1: just suddenly you just yeah felt and like- also
0: the thing was that I I like when I was working for a GLC I I didn't mind leaving my hair long because I, I wanted to see people anyway hmm. but when I started working for myself I you know it, it's kind of weird like the moment you 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 work for yourself it's more like you now have the 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 freedom to work 24 hours yeah yeah that's yeah. right <laughs> because because you know and then uh so I found that my long hair was just distracting me I see and then I had a beard also and then the Ah. beard was also distracting me because I kept like you know plucking at it while I while I while I worked on my hair I'll be like like that so I just went and shaved bald completely and then you know focus went up okay so yeah you know helps you make money Okay. I thought
2: it was more for like a cancer cause or something that I thought they, you wanted to become Buddha. Uh, I, I should know. have been
0: smart enough to say it's for a cancer yeah. cause, right? Yeah. That's I what most most people do, right? <laughs> yeah, just like improve my social image completely.
1: <laughs> so the, the last time you met, you were you were still working at a GLC, I believe. Yeah. And you know, you were writing on your blog. So uh, you know, how I mean, what's the life update right now?
0: well so my blog my blog has been uh abandoned a little oh, bit okay not, not to say abandoned is like I I don't post anymore mm-hmm. or much um so when I was so basically after we wrote I I I think I attended my resignation and my last day was sometime around June okay mm-hmm. so I basically spoke to my boss because prior to that I had a very bad car accident which to be fair after the accident I should not be here ah like to be very frank i should not be here okay. like like i should be dead then then because for just to give you guys a a, a, a sense i was around I, I had a car crash on the nsc highway at wow. around heavy rain okay and i was traveling at least 140 okay on just very very foolish so okay. my car had like four different types of secondhand tires ah. uh, yeah so oh. you're like so you're like i would expect you to be dead right and then you know car crashed Thing flew up the hill then rolled down and then all that kind of just very fun stuff like okay. all the windows all burst. okay all kind of stuff so after that i was like you know what i should be dead so i thought to myself you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try and put my life in a se- because now i'm th- because i'm theoretically supposed to be dead then so yeah whatever now is is free so i i, I should live my life a lot more towards what I, what i think should be done uh. so mm. i thought to myself i'm gonna resign i talked to my boss I say I'll handle all the difficult things first. Let me handle all the difficult things for you first, and then we, and then after it's done, I will resign. Then mm. you guys can slowly hand over and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I resigned, and then um, I, I, it was around maybe a few months prior that I started talking with Sachai. Okay, which you guys, I think we're on this yep. podcast. Before. Yes. 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 So um, initially, he was, you know, saying, "Let's. I would like to give you a certain amount of money to manage." from from his own personal or whatever because that's really the only way that you can uh judge someone for their ability like, you know yeah. give them a certain amount of money to manage and then give them around five years so he, he according to him he's read some of my stuff on and off over the last few years and uh, then he felt you know well let's 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 figure out this guy so at first we were thinking of working as partners so just you know as a sounding board etc So, uh, and then over the course of like one, two, three months, as I was discussing with him, I just realized that this guy is just better than me. Mm. I mean, thought process-wise, much better than me. You know, decision-making better, experience better, Mm. understanding all just better. So I thought to myself, you know, no matter what, I would like to work with this guy. So we discussed about it. But then after I resigned, you know, even though 2020 was a really good year for me financially, uh, after, you know, there's... Nassim Nicholas Taleb has said this beautiful phrase. He says there's the three most addictive thing in the world. Uh, cocaine, sugar, and a steady paycheck.
2: Yes. Yep.
0: You know, So I had a very nice steady paycheck. I mean, not maybe not to say very nice, but it, it's a nice steady paycheck. So for me, I, I would never be able to accept if I had to withdraw money from my own fund to from my own life's expenses. So I thought to myself. Uh, so I told Sechai, you know, can I can I ask for a favor? Can you give me like a like a nominal salary that can cover my living expenses? And then you know, even if I don't have that salary, I would still be very happy to work with you. Okay, but since now I'm in this stage where I would like a nominal sal- a, a nominal salary, it'll be great. So he agreed, and then so that's where we are today. Also, I'm currently working for him in in his fund, mm. but. It's uh, it's. I would say it, it's hard to, yeah, but, yeah, but we meet maybe like once a week, so it's it's. There's a lot of freedom, like Despite be despite working for someone, mm, mm, but mm. end of the day, it's just that you know we both trust that I know what I'm supposed to do, and even without him, I think I'll be still working at the similar level. Yeah. So, so it doesn't really make a difference. So yeah, so the initial reason why I started my blog was because back then I just didn't really know how to get into investment funds. Mm. I maybe to be fair, I should have just went up to the doors and just start knocking, but I didn't do that. So I started this blog instead because I figured you know at some point people will read that and then they will you know think to myself you know what let's try and work together with this guy, and I suppose after twenty twenty that kind of happened, and then with even with one or two other fund managers, so. Now it's more of, a, there's just very little incentive for me to write things out again, mm. other than on occasion, because yeah my because my time, I suppose is more efficiently spent if I were to just take it and continue to read. Yep. So, so
1: I mean, like how has 2021 been for you in terms of like your investments and, and all of that? And like, what, what are some of the big things that you've learned and all that?
0: so um 2021 the the start of the year was quite okay Mm. um but after that i just stopped all my trading activities mainly just stick to long-term investing so 2021 was a year when i really tried to understand the e-commerce space Mm -hmm. but as well as as the chinese space uh so far i would say at least for e-commerce we are done with the understanding part Mm. in terms of all the global competitors but like for, the, for China, there's still a long way to go. Um, so, the thing I would say is that, uh, so given from that, you can kind of understand e-commerce and China, if I started investing in the middle of the year, it won't be so good. Yep. So, uh, the thing is that, well, let's just say that, uh, for me, I was impacted a bit, but, the fund, my, for example, the fund I worked for was not so impacted. So, there was a lot of process where to think through a lot of my thought process when it comes to allocation and how do I allocate, et cetera. But I would say that uh, for example, I think Baba was a significant position. Mm. Was, I don't think the loss is enough to turn into uh into into, enough to bring the fund down to a negative to a negative return this uh, this year. But we but if I but I bought Baba right after I finished studying Baba. Mm. But here's the problem. I bought it after I finished studying Baba, and not when I finished studying everything. Mm.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so why? Why? Why is that important?
0: So, so I would say that my understanding of the e-commerce space globally now is very, and as well as well as for the Chinese perspective, is very different from when I first studied Baba. Mm. So. Uh, when I first studied Baba and that's coming from like studying Malaysian companies all the time, suddenly Alibaba looks like just an angel, you know, <laughs> like mm. it, it's the most perfect girl, not perfect girl, You is an amazing girl in comparison to every investment that I've seen so far, but it's nothing, it's, yeah, but there were some flaws that I was, that I kept thinking about. Mm. But after I finished all the Chinese companies that are related to e-commerce as well as well, if you understand e-commerce, you also have to understand the, the logistics business, everything yep. behind it. Fulfillment, everything. Yeah. So I went through all of the logistics companies in China, uh, basically all of them. And then after that, we went through also some Brazilian ones because that's uh, the only one that was really listed mm, globally. globally. Yeah. And then there's C-Limited, all this. So after you went through all of them, you start to realize that BABA might actually be in terms of management, uh, slightly below average if you compare with the rest of those level of management. The big ones. Uh. Yes. It's it's so messed up to say something like that because their management is actually incredibly good. Mm. It's just that compared to these guys and then also you need to know the Show and Dance yeah, these guys yes. in e-commerce. yeah. And the e-commerce industry in China is I think at least 15 years ahead of everyone mm-hmm. because there, there's just too many intelligent people in there just moving things forward all the time. Mm. That it's very difficult to... To actually determine who will win in the end mm. I I think you know there, there are a few companies that you think have a good odds to win in the end but even then they're not gonna really really win a, like they're gonna win a decent percentage but like the I think the the cream of the cream still in the end board belongs to the to the e-commerce not to say e-commerce live streamers or actually mm. like the top e-commerce live streamers those guys actually make the most perfect amount of profits mm. in terms of margins
2: actually there was a documentary about this i don't know whether it Yeah, the ones that they talk about the life of the influencers or mm. the uh live streamers the live streamers in, in in china it was quite sad because every year they would have to win competitions and then they would have to look good forever oh my god i was like watching it i was
0: like looking at it i was like my god it's quite a sad life you know to be honest Live streaming uh, is actually a very interesting business. Mm. Because so, for example, I was we I w- I was trying to start understand live streaming as a mm. business in general. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, you know until today, Twitch is not making money. Mm. Mm. So I was thinking to myself, like, what are the it's is is live streaming uh, platforms like uh historically loss making business? One. And number two, what is the success factor for a live streaming business? Mm. And number three, in the live streaming industry, who makes the above average profits? Correct. So if you think about the live streaming business there are three components to it. So first is the is first is the live streamers. The second is the platform mm. and then the third is the live streaming agencies. Mm. Okay. So now if you look at live streaming platforms you will notice that I like the first question I asked myself was that number 1 why is there live streaming platforms other than Twitch? And the two or three Chinese ones, which is like Huya and Douyu. Mm. Why are there more than three? Yeah, because you see, there's a lot more live streaming platforms like All Alive or or you know Bigo or just a mouth or Momo, and then just a multitude of like all these small ones that you know for some reason is very popular in Indonesia and Thailand. Like Indonesia have their own like just like weird little live streaming platform that I can't remember the name, mm. but if I'm not mistaken, it's owned by Momo. And then there's YY, which is big goal. And then so, so et cetera, et cetera. Now, the thing I noticed is that those live stream, a lot of live streaming platforms that make money are the, so so so. now if you were to look at it from, let's say, Huya and Douyu, you'd be wondering to yourself, how come their margins are so low? Mm. When you look at, let's say, Momo, their margins are so much higher, mm. although their growth might not be as extreme. And then you realize that if, let's say, you were to do gaming live streams, what they do is that like, okay. I'm a game li- I'm a gaming live stream. So what I need to do is that I need to uh, host. I need to make sure I'm the this I'm the broadcaster for the tournaments. Okay. So let's say I can't remember what's the PUBG and then all yeah. these yeah all these LOL all these tournaments. But the thing is, live streaming like getting the the broadcasting rights for those tournaments is like extremely expensive mm. and it'll probably make you lose money. Mm. Actually. So, but if you look at, let's say Pico or all this like YY or all this, or, you know, Momo, they are actually very profitable. So that got me thinking, okay. So in terms of live streaming, you want the platforms that in general don't want to be paying the tournament money. That's one. And then the second part about live streaming is that the there, there are different tiers of live streamers, okay. So the very top tier, you have your Weiya and then your that lipstick king of China that can sell <laughs> yeah, like- yeah obscene amounts and then of course there are the other top tier live streamers in china that can probably do like 1 million viewers every single time they come on again those guys you're not going to make money from them because Mm. they get to negotiate their their terms etc Correct. so the the only people that you make money from actually is the middle to bottom tier streamers Mm. okay so now middle to bottom tier will be somebody who only has like, let's say 500 to 1,000 viewers, maybe 1,005, 2,000 viewers. And then the, and then also the micro ones, which have 20, 30 viewers. So now obviously a lot of apps are coming up with streaming as a way to monetize because mm. it's such a good way, but there are some platforms that have died. Mm. But so I started to try and wanted to figure out like, you know, who who are the, how much would a micro live streamer make and then how much would a middle will, tier?
1: Would you consider live streaming yourself?
0: Um, I'm not sure if my face is like (laughs) and conductive but also it's just uh, you know I, I, I don't know how how lucrative a life facing the camera is for somebody like doing like let's say doing my line of work so for example, if Warren Buffett decided to live stream, I'm sure he'll make a lot of money, you know. <laughs> but the, and I, I remember there was this guy who live streamed himself just sitting there studying, and that was his video only. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I suppose please. I could consider doing something like that. Like you just live stream me, just sit down the chair and just like study. But the problem is uh, just, you know, I I I I don't like for me, the, the only reason I would live stream is that maybe as a way to filter out. And, and find some people who f- see the value in that and then they can also provide me the value by giving me ideas mm. and be like you know as I study this be like by the way you you, you you need to you know figure out something but the thing is that the people like that usually don't sit down all day and watch live streams anyway yeah right. so you know it's like you know the, the chances of John sitting in front of a Maybe he does. Maybe he does watch like <laughs> girls and then like just yeah. pay the, give him <laughs> a SIM uh. <laughs>
2: Maybe yeah. we, we should start a podcast actually, really them, rich, Actually eh?
1: really rich, from what I understand, really rich guys, right, who've, who have like rich parents. Um, They're 18, 19, they've never had a girlfriend before. Or one they they, they actually that. pay like big amount of money and they are totally fine if the girl yeah. never goes out with him, never even talks to him. Oh. No, 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 actually, sorry. Some of them, they are like the really good streamers. They actually send like gifts. Yeah. To the, the, the high paying donors. But that's about mm. it. That's the extent of it.
0: This it's is gonna go into another topic. So we shall not <laughs> <Yeah. Dating laughs> yeah. apps. I was studying dating apps. Ah, like yes. Okay, but now let's stick to live streamers first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I so I figured so I wanted to understand to myself, like in Malaysia at least, like I found a few, because I was talking with a friend and I was like, actually, you oh, I I also go watch live streamers. And I was like, okay, tell me a few that you watch. Now after I watched them, then they were like, Twenty, they have like only 20 viewers at any point in time. Mm. Wow. Okay, but she's a very pretty girl, 18-year-old from Ipoh, incredible. What does she sell? Anything? Her face in- up. Oh, just her face. Okay. So okay. so she just sits there and then she 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 sells human attention okay. by a, by a very attractive female. So okay. that's what she sells. Which is really, really valuable apparently. No, mm. Be- not apparently, like I mean, once you understand it. How, so apparently she makes from what I can see around ten thousand ringgit a month so okay. just live streaming maybe four or five times a week in front of 20 people for like 10 hours so so despite so just fresh not even fresh out of college like while well, well being just after high, yeah, school, high school but i suppose you could do it from the age of 15 you yeah. can make this kind of money yeah. so now but the problem with like streamers like her is that Number one, you only have like 20, like you only have let's say a few hundred followers, and then you only have like these 20, 30 guys who pop on every time you live stream. So they are, they are, they are not the kind of people that are they are gonna change platform just because they want to. So mm. she uses Earl Alive, but Earl Alive, even you would not have heard of it. Like if I tell you Huya you told you, you would have heard of it, mm. or even Momo or Bite Dance Quai Show, you would have heard of it. Yeah. But not Earl Alive. So so how did they choose Earl Alive? So a lot of it for them, they say, oh, it, it's uh, I, I I saw an ad for it. And then I thought to myself, why not I try? Now I tried this. So my friends say, oh, you know, I want to try it also. So they introduce their friends and then their mm. friends go, oh, what, what platform you use? Elelight. So I use other life. Now, so these guys are actually not going to jump. Yeah. Okay. So when you think about it from this perspective, then you think to yourself, okay, so what you want for a success factor as for investments into these platforms is that you want the guys who have the largest access to these medium tier and small streamers. And then a lot of men will want to visit them and, and 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 get that human attention. So I was thinking to myself, which platforms would do this best? So one would so I actually have no idea what's the right answer. Like, mm. would it be like Momo? Where Momo is one of the biggest dating apps in China, mm. and then they also own Tantan, Tan, which mm. now you can find live streamers there as well. Yep. So you get lonely men swiping left and swiping mm. right, and then they go into the platform. So that sounds like a really good way to, to re-lock in this, you know, middle to low live streamers. But then what about Kuaishou or Douyin? So Kuaishou and Douyin, those are those guys are mainly going into the e-commerce side. So they say, okay, these e-commerce guys that you sell on my platform, and then I will make a certain small amount each time people buy it. But obviously this is only for the small and medium. The big guys like VR mm. or or the Lipstick King, he's he's not going to, whatever you're charging them, you're going to get like 10% of, of what you were charging them. Mm. So in fact, you might actually lose money just from the server cost, all that, but you need them around. But the problem is that having them around, I'm actually not sure if it's good for your business or not. Because the people who want to watch VR are very unlikely for them to go and be like, oh, okay, VR's done. Let me go and watch some, you know, 50 streamer guy and, and mm. then yep. figure it out. So yeah, and also apparently, like Twitch is not number one in the rest of the world because Twitch, if you look at how they do their broadcast, it's uh their broadcast recommendations is very bad. Mm. So it's very they they don't recommend the small streamers at all. It's only the biggest streamers. Why, well, if you look at let's say MoMo or TanTan or, or, Tan or Pico, they 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 tend to recommend the middle end streamers as well. I
1: see. Very so, similar to TikTok, right? I think yeah. TikTok also actively tries to promote smaller guys.
0: TikTok, I don't, I I I can't answer on TikTok sure. because I I I it's it's so hard to find anything substantive on TikTok because people don't actually like go and you don't actually get an ex TikToker, you know, software yeah. developer come out and say, yes, this is exactly how we do our recommendation yep. engines. But obviously, TikTok, that they, they found a way to do the recommendation. Like TikTok, I think is not so much that how many viewers a person has. They probably have a sense of their, their AI probably is really good at determining which videos are going to go viral based on initial impressions. And then they make sure that those videos get into the people who are interested in watching them. So it's a... It, but in terms of their live streaming platform, I'm not too sure. sure. Because it's actually quite hard for me to, to go into these Chinese live streaming platforms. Because uh like for example, Douyin, I I still can't install it properly for some reason. I can install on, TikTok properly. On... Because you're on Apple ecosystem, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I don't know why it's so difficult for me to install like a, a proper Douyin, a Chinese one. I want a Chinese one, but I I don't know why it's so hard for me because you know China when you when you sign up for something, they want your number and then they're gonna it's I, I don't know why until now I still have a problem getting the tech for all mm. these kind of like China, China apps. So so that's one problem. I see. So I see. so coming from these live streaming platforms, you then go into like dating apps now uh the the cheapest dating app in the world right now that is just you know the the price is unthinkable is momo because mm. it's the biggest dating app in china and it's trading for like what three times earnings today mm. and they're huh. and they're putting all their operating cash flows to buy back stock so now but the the world of dating apps is that you know that there's a few things to note so uh, obviously we are aware that the the human race has uh, evolved a lot slower than technology has evolved. Mm. So our primal brains are still stuck, probably back back in year three hundred, three three four five hundred years ago. So, um, if you look at the dating world today, so when when Momo first came out as an app, people called it a superpower. Mm. Okay, because of Momo dating apps. Because what happened was that uh, previously, if you think about, let's let's say you're a really charming guy. Okay. Uh, for you to go and, and you know, man, if you study like the anthropology as well as like what kind of animal is more towards monogamous and what are animals yep. more towards monogamous. r selection, right? Dude? Yeah. So oftentimes you can tie it to the size of the testi- of the testicles. Mm. Nice. Okay. So small testicles tend to be very monogamous. Well, humongous te- testicles tend to, like baboons tend to be humongously polyamorous. So. Yeah humans are right in the middle. So <laughs> we are we are right about, about, you know, we are, we are, half we, we half. have inclinations to be polygamous, Poly-amous? but we also kind of want to be monogamous. Mm. So, so now what happens is that these guys, suddenly their dating activities can be scaled. So they no longer need to be a celebrity in order to scale their charmingness, you mm. see. They can now instantly be charming towards 30, 30 women or whatever. and And, 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 and at the same time, and then because of that, just by the law of large numbers, you're gonna, you know, I suppose what's the phrase? Gate laid more. Mm. So the a lot of the men that were successful called it a super weapon. Now, so the thing is, what happened is that if you look at the what's the dating.com. I can't remember who owns Tinder now, but there's match.com, they're listed, right? Match.com, yes. Match.com owns Tinder when they showed their prospectus. Um if if I'm not mistaken, uh, 2014 uh, was the year when people met more online versus let's say the all Physical. the other methods which is friends, you know, go to church or you know, colleagues, mm. whatever. Mm. Dating was the, dating online exceeded 50% in something like 2014. So by today, if I'm being very honest, I'm fairly certain the number of people who find their partners via oh. dating platforms now is easily 70 to 80%. Mm. Now the, the problem here is this. Um, so the first part is this. Now on dating platforms you know it's it's a kind of platform where they favor the men who number one, it would be better if you're good looking. but number two is also somebody who is like actually want to take a lot of time to put into their social media mm. into curating a selection of pictures for the to go and to, to select for females etc so the females can self-select them but the problem is very few men in the world are interested in doing this yep. so if even if you go to before this uh, if you look back towards your the the ancestors that you have about you have two times more females than males in your of war, ancestors right? not just war but because on average 50% of males do not get to procreate and pass their genes down yeah that's, right. that's just the na- that's you know like for example the baboon is humongously uh, poly- polygamous and uh, and the baboons, uh, female ones, mm. they are humongously unselective towards males. Mm. They will literally sleep with anything and and everything when mm. they are in heat. Mm. You see, so it's very it's very common for like the beta males out there to try and sneak in sneak into the female baboon when she's on heat and then try and sleep with her. And then the the female baboon will sleep with the guy. And then when the guy gets found out by the alpha male, he'll get ripped to pieces mm. and stuff like that. But it doesn't change the fact that the female baboons are unselective. Mm. Now, what happens is that when your females are highly unselective, that means that your genetic pool does not improve. But, if you look at our female pool, they are clearly extremely selective. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, they are less selective towards look, but they are very selective towards intelligence, social, uh, how do I put it? Social status. Social status is a huge one. So, uh, et etc. et cetera. So, our, uh, the pickiness of our females resulted in human race being here today. So, mm. you know, Now, so what happened with the dating apps is that if you look at the, people did a study on on the dating apps, swipe strikes and swipe labs. Mm. um, 80% of males do not get swiped much while 20% of males get swiped a lot and the top 5% just get swiped all the time as if they're a girl. Mm. So what happens is, what's happening here is that 80% of women are trying to aim towards 20% of the men, Mm. which is just nature. Mm. And if you were to proportion it to 1% and 5%, all that, you'll be even more extreme. But 80% of the men then are then aiming for the remaining 20% of the girls. Mm. Now, even before this, we we're already looking at 2 to 1, that means 50%. So now the differences become even much more extreme. Mm. So now, if, if, you go, if you go back in time, you can go and search, for example, keywords that people search into Google. Okay. Now, when you look at the start of Google, the phrase, how to get a girlfriend, mm. uh, was steadily matching up. I see. That was until 2014 Mm. when the phrase how to get a girlfriend start to trend down a lot. Mm. Men just stop giving a... Men not not stop. Men gradually stop caring about finding a girlfriend. And if you look at the other end of the spectrum, this phrase comes out, which is men going their own way. Mm. So men going their own way is basically men who go, you know what? I can't get a woman. It's too difficult. So I'm not going to bother with getting a woman. Okay. So this thing actually exceeded how to get a girlfriend. <laughs> okay, so now what's hap- Now why, why did this happen? Because number one, this Tinder thing or dating platform just made the, the inequality even bigger. Mm. But the worst thing for these men is that they discovered how easy it is for the top 5% of men or even the top, yes, the top 5% of men where just two texts from them is needed to get the girl out on a date. Mm. And then these men constantly share about how they... Can have sex with a girl yep. on the first date. So if you look at Tinder, like let's say in two thousand fourteen, and you go on Tinder now, the female experience is very different because on two thousand fourteen, when you go on Tinder, the guy will actually try and try and you know talk. But now because these guys will be like, okay, these these, these really successful men don't need to say much words. They can just go on you know use very sexual, just go very sexual straight away. Mm. So why not I copy them? And then suddenly because they're copying these guys. The female experience is more like, oh, everyone's very sexual towards me, even mm. though they are very unattractive. And then the second part is this. These guys, when they see the other man can get it within like two dates or less than one date, they think to themselves, is this girl like, you know, you know like taking advantage of me if they say they're three dates in? Like for example, I yeah. know like this old guy, he told me he met his wife, she was a bank teller. Mm. And so he went to the bank every single day for like two months to get her. It's never gonna happen today. There's no way on earth. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, Because the guy will just feel like I'm such a piece of shit. Like, like, why am I doing this? You know? Yeah, because, because
1: he's comparing himself yes. to other people. Like, and, he and can the,
0: do it within a few texts, but I need to work. Not right? just other people. He's comparing himself to the hyper successful people. Yeah. it's like how people like to say, "Oh, the world is unequal towards men and women in terms of like in terms of economics," and then they point to the super hyper successful men, and then it's like. Uh, you need to exclude the top 10%. Okay? Yeah, but all
1: the the and garbage collectors yeah, are also. Exactly, right?
0: <laughs> so, what happens then is that these men, are, they are so aware that they are worthless and then also obviously, you know, everything is online now. The girls who go and be like, oh, this guy is such a loser and all the text mm. is all online. So, men have all the access to the information that they need to confirm to their suspicions that women, that the world is very unfair mm. in dating and then they just choose to opt out. Kind of like you know lying, mm. yep. lying flat so what happens is that there's there's gonna be from my perspective it's gonna be a huge influx of people and then on the woman end is even it's, it's not to say even worse but they are getting it just as bad yeah. because what happens is that now you have now what women are starting to realize is that the the female attention gets you a lot of money etc so th- that's good and all that, but. A lot of women, uh, I would say, they're they're taking the non-traditional path, so they are more promiscuous, let's say. Mm. But what women also fail to realize is that uh, number one, there's a there's a reason why you know childbirth all this is a thing. Mm. We are wired for it, and that it does give you a certain level of pleasure that not or happiness that nothing else can give. Yeah. But you're not gonna find it out if you're gonna go on the, the traditional way and then etc. But the second part is this: um, for a lot of women. They tend to misunderstand the difference, the, the difference between uh, men that they can sleep with and men would that will be in a relationship with them. Mm. Yeah. You see? So uh, they are very different. So like the goal of a of a woman is to get the the, the, the man that she The best band. meal possible, la. To be in a relationship with him. That kind means he needs to sacrifice all his other options. Remember, yes. he has medium-sized balls then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you're and if let's say you're sleeping with let's you're 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 being intimate with the with the top two percent of males.
1: They have options.
0: A lot of options. They have more options. It's much harder to find a two percent male than to find a two percent female mm. from a female perspective. Mm. Because the competition for those guys is insane. Like mm. women are insane when it comes to competing (laughs) with the men that they want yes okay so uh so for them they they tend to mistake this and so you get and also for example women now they are much more educated than ever but on average women date sideways and upwards while while men date sideways and downwards Mm. okay it's 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 just the way it is yeah so you know now, if like for example, uh, one friend of mine, he he doesn't. I think he he comes from an okay family. He makes okay, but his his girlfriend is a really rich, you know, doctor kind of medical practitioner. Okay, uh, she she probably makes like six times his salary. <laughs> okay, they got married. Okay, but the thing was that they met in high school and they were together since together since. Mm. High, I'm sure if they were no longer in high school,
1: right? Well, yeah, very difficult. There
0: is no way on earth. That she would do that unless that guy is top tier in every other way which is like you know physical attraction uh, intimacy and and everything else uh, so I, I just
1: want to um, i mean it's a very fascinating conversation but i just want to translate like what you're describing right into like an investor so like if okay. you're an investor looking at all this information right what where do i put my money basically? Well, so
0: where do men who are unable to get women and have nothing else to do with their time spend their money on? Well, apparently, crypto. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, they obviously are going to spend a lot more on video games. They're going to spend a lot more on paying live streamers. They're going to spend a lot more on physical goods, etc. So you are going to have a large generation of men as well as women because women. These 30, 40 year old women who have extremely good careers are going to find it very difficult to get married mm. to the guy that they think is worthy of them mm. because their standards is just diff- supply and demand. Yeah. So now, if you look at what the women who have high income levels spend, especially if they're single, well, they spend a lot on uh, luxury goods. Yeah. Mm. They spend a lot on skincare. They spend a lot on makeup and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you basically have to go and look towards where these people are spending their money. So for me, I think, you know, but dating apps is always, you know, dating apps are like lottery tickets. It's like, you know, even if the guy thinks that he has no chance, that's still a good, that you go on an app and then they say, you know, 47 women have swiped left on you. Do you want to <laughs> find out who they are? Uh, you know, pay $50 to find out, you know, like no matter how you, no matter how much, how badly you think of yourself, the fact that this app tells you that there's somebody out there that is interested in you uh, means that you're going to spend every now and then mm, and yeah. you're going to try because you, you do have medium-sized balls. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> Thanks for the
3: reminder. <laughs> 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 a logical reminder. So,
1: sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses SIB. I think there's, there's two. Uh, one is uh, what you're describing, are uh, the uh the the big market right let me summarize see if it makes sense the Mm. first one are the bottom 80 percent of men who Mm. need to spend on things like live streaming and gaming so maybe we can talk about that later on and then but the flip side are the the women who cannot get the two percent yeah which is a significant amount right because the math is at least 50% 50% of men and 50% of women won't yeah. get what they want, at least, right? Mm. So in terms of the guy side, right? Like, have you looked into, I mean, we talked about live streaming just now. So have you looked into gaming or any other areas that you think that is going to be exciting? And what are some of the names?
0: I mean, gaming is very simple, uh, you know, you just buy 10 cent. Uh. Right. It's, it's cheap. The, I mean, I can't remember the, the guy, What's his name? Uh, Richard Liu. I'm not sure. I don't think it's Richard Liu. It's... Uh, you okay, he a gamer? H7 no, manager? no, he's he was the guy from Goldman, if I'm not mistaken, who left Goldman and joined Tencent quite early, and then he basically reallocates the capital and like all the purchases into all these game companies that they're buying is all from his ideas. Okay. So, um, so you know, Tencent I think is one of the cheapest gaming companies in the world right now. They are getting like hammered in China, but you know everybody's getting hammered in China. And the thing is that the Chinese here's the thing, uh, the Chinese, I, I. I, I fully agree with what Xi Jinping is doing, which is, you know, oh, I sound like a China businessman. I <laughs> China fully agree China. with China. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make sense. Like, you know, you stop the young children from playing too much games. But I do believe that gaming as a habit, I mean, gaming is just too amazing of an activity that you can still pick up the habit at the age of 19. It's not an issue. Or even an adult. Exactly.
2: Es- especially when you have more interactive ways. I mean, in the past, how do you interact with a computer? Yeah, You still use a very in a way, traditional keyboard, mouse, mm. whatever. But with the advent of things like, you know, your Oculus, uh, things like AR, things like uh, ver- um, metaverse, I mean, mm. for, the, for the lack of a better word, I think it's not too late for even people in midlife mm. to actually experience a, yep. a, a reality. I wouldn't say reality, a virtual world that reminds them of either a childhood thing that they had to relive or either that or to find entertainment where they can't get it. In a way, not getting family time. Uh, those single guys are not getting family time, not getting um, enough entertainment because they don't have a, in a way don't have a social life. So I think that gaming is a good segue for people who want to relive their childhood lah, in a way.
4: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I think gaming in general. So so when I look at this from this perspective, so I also went and studied the makeup industry and the skincare industry. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, all this, Lonely, old, rich woman. I yeah. want to make money from them. But the problem is that skincare products, etc. It's, it's too difficult. It's is, is it too
1: fragmented? Wait, it's it difficult yeah, because it's because fragmented or is it because- It's too
0: easy for a new brand to come up. Ah, ah Low so, barriers to entry. La. Yeah, ah, yeah, but then the big brands who are there already, the valuations are not cheap. Like L'Oreal, s- all these guys. Sh- <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, they're not cheap. But, and then also, if let's say you look at the, the retailers of this, then you start to look at, let's say, Ulta Beauty. And mm. then I think there was a small company in Hong Kong. I can't remember the name now. Mm. But you look at all of them and at the end of the day, you realize to yourself, well, the guys who are going to make the most money in the end is still the e-commerce platforms mm. because they make a certain cut by every purchase. And then it doesn't change the fact that all most purchases are going to go online. Yeah. So, end of the day, is more like you need to come back to e-commerce platforms. Mm. So, so, who do you buy? So now... If you think about e-commerce platforms, um, oh gosh, it's it's such a big topic. But let's say you need to come back into understanding e-commerce platforms and how they start. Mm. So at different stages of an e-commerce platforms, there are different success factors. So obviously, the first successful one was more like Amazon and then eBay, mm. etc. So now, if you look at e-commerce platforms, the way when they first start, like. The the key thing that you need for an e-commerce platform to, to succeed at the early stages is you need to have a sufficient amount of goods, and then you just need to have uh reviews. Mm. Okay. Now, that was the initial stage. So do you have trustworthiness and then you give them a payment mechanism, and then you have a you have a sufficient amount of goods. And then the middle stage is where you have the you need to build up your logistic network to get to your, you know. How many day delivery, as well as build up your e-commerce platforms to have tools for advertising, all the kind of stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And then there's the end stage now where logistic platforms are basically built up, and then so so the the main money maker is actually just the platform itself. Mm. But so so it's a really difficult thing to answer. So if you look at like let's say if you look, let's just use like let's say Alibaba as a as, let's say we just pick Baba as a as a as a reference point. So they started as just being a pure platform player, okay? So you do your listing and then you list on Taobao, et cetera, and then you, you sell to everybody. Now, uh, what happened is that when they started from there, they think to themselves, okay, we are, we are growing very fast. The problem now is not that we can't get enough customers. It's that the infrastructure is bad. Correct. So we come up with end pay, which is great because you own the, the financial infrastructure, but then you also have to invest in the logistics infrastructure. Yep. But the problem with logistics infrastructures is that if you go and study the China Network uh, or basically every single logistic company network in the world, their profits at first grew quickly. But after that, it's just a a relentless fall downwards. Like Mm. the rates for per package is dropping by 20 to 30% Mm. every single year relentlessly. Why is that? It's just the nature of things because Mm. people think to themselves, you know, because the the, the first thing is that when you look into a newly developing country, you The thing you want to invest in is logistic networks because the start is where the money is because that's when the spread is very fat and nobody has it. But the moment you start to expand, the the margins go down like crazy because Mm. this is a highly competitive network. Mm. What you need is just a warehouse and motorcycles Mm. advance, Mm. you know. So it, it just drops like mad. And in 2020, it actually dropped so badly that I think, you know, Best Inc., I don't, okay, best thing is one of the Sithongi in China, which mm. is the China network. Mm. They own about 10% of all traffic. They were growing like crazy before mm. this. They almost went bankrupt. Okay, because, because of, of the rates, declining uh, yeah, rates. Uh. And, and, and the problem with these rates is that they're never going up. Like, there's no mm. situation where you own enough market share and then it goes up. Like, you can pick the countries with the most developed logistic systems in the world and you can pick their biggest player. And the guy is making sub 10% ROE. Mm. It's just a fact of life. That's the nature of the business, uh, fulfillment logistics business. Uh. Unless you are FedEx or Shunfeng. Uh. Because for FedEx and Shunfeng is different. You are like you look and now it's so messed up as a logistics as a logistics company. You go onto your Lazada and Shopee app, do they even let you pick which lo- which logis- Yeah, correct, correct. Exactly. You have literally been commoditized to the bottom. Yeah. But Shunfeng and FedEx is different because they do long distance, time-sensitive. This right. kind of stuff. So this sort of stuff you can charge the margins on yes, this. Yes, yes. Like I remember I was talking, I was seeing the, the CJ Century. They were saying that oh the Shopee was paying us like $4 per, $4 per package. And then we have to pay our, 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 our driver something like $4 per package. So it's like everything else is like just swallowing the cost. But the thing is that for some reason everybody seemed to want to enter this industry. Like, but the more I look at it, the more the more the worse it is. So now when you come to this, so Alibaba goes, okay, we need to somehow invest in the logistic network. So yeah. they go, we're going to do China. We're going to come up with a network, but you can't just come up with a with a with a with a with a software network that links up all the packages to all these different carriers and then come up with the warehouses etc. Because these guys still need money. Mm. So so what they do is that they go and invest a lot of money into this. Into these companies. And then these companies, obviously, because it's such a competitive network, is gonna lose money. And so you see their stock prices drop down. here. But they have to, it's a cost. You can do it either way. You want you to do it yourself or you or you invest in them. Now, Jingdong Tong went a different route. Jingdong Tong we're gonna do up our own logistic network. Uh they can do that, but their logistic network is more expensive than Chinese, for example, even though it's better, it's more time-sensitive, et cetera. But that's a different topic. So now what happens is that when you build up this logistic network and then you get to like 2016 2017 is that now that you have you need to know the, the main money maker is always the platform everything else is is irrelevant so yeah. the so now when you have the logistics network and then the logistics network can service other people as well so then you have uh and the speed run to being a billionaire mm. I think the the guy from pindotoro started pindotoro in like 2016 or something like that or or somewhat or somewhat earlier than that. And in less than five years, he he is actually the richest man in China. Mm. But he was smart because like right when he was about to be the richest man in China, he donated away 50% of his shares. <laughs> because people were like, why did you do that? Oh, I don't want to be number one. You know, mm. it, in it China, tracks, it, it tracks atten- unwanted attention. Yeah, Jack Ma would know. Yeah. Not Jack Ma, I mean. Uh we need uh Kong Kong oh no gong yeah, gong. Gong. <laughs> You don't want gong gong to see, oh. you do <laughs> want the newspaper to come up, you know. What's what's that guy? I can't remember his name now. The the Pin Water founder, but they want his name to be the richest man in China on the newspaper, you know. Okay. It's like, oh no thanks, no thanks. I don't need that attention. I'm willing to pay you fifty billion US dollars to take that attention away from me. <laughs> so then it comes up to Pin Water. So what happens is that in before this, uh, Alibaba started with Taobao, which is all the low-end platforms, the, the low-end listings. And then you have Tmall, which is the premium listings. And then Jing Tong went and be like, we're going to... Jing Tong decided, and then they're going to do primarily third-party models, so people list on them. Jing Tong went a different route. Jing Tong went the Costco route, where mm-hmm. they went, um, customers want fastest possible delivery and they want lowest possible price. Yeah, And they want authentic- authenticity. Because even until today, mm. Authenticity is still a big issue when it comes to Chinese e-commerce. Mm. Oddly, despite all the fines. Give me yeah. a second. Uh. Yeah, you got water there too. So uh Tong is quite special. It's one of the places where you can order a fridge in the morning and then by the afternoon it reaches you. You, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a bit different from Alibaba, unless in like the key areas. Yeah. So um so Ting Tong went and be like, we're gonna do up our, our own logistics network and we are gonna use our huge economy of scale to buy certain products, which is like they started with electronics and then they went on to like uh high value FMCG goods, etc. Mm. And then we're gonna use our huge economy of scale to buy that and then sell it directly on our as our own products. That means as a one P model. Okay. So Ting Tong always had the top tier of the market. They are, I think the 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 spend per customer is something like almost double that of the Alibaba. The basket size uh, in a way. Yeah. So if, if somebody wants to buy an uh, uh, electronic in general, they're going to go to Tong So what happens is that Tong holds the top end of the market and then the middle end of the market is all held by Baba. And Baba held something like 60%. Then Tong holds like 20% and 10% somebody else holds. Mm. Now, so what happens is that Pintuoto went and be like, okay, uh, we have these logistic networks all built up. So what is the remaining end of the market and nobody is biting? And that is your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh tier cities in China, Mm. where there is actually, even though the logistics number is not good enough because the the shipping fees are too expensive. You send over there. So what those people do is that you know you have, and then these people have a lot of time. Mm. So what they did is that they basically said, you know, hello Tencent, can we pay you money to so that you will allow us to put our platform on WeChat. Mm. And then you and then be, people can then share the share the links directly. And then they started to do this thing where it's like, oh, you need to get three people together in order to get a 50% discount. These days it doesn't matter anymore because yeah. you know they will say, Oh, you need the discount, is you, you just put your name, you just like the app automatically matches you with other people so that you the can group, get a
1: discount. Yeah. So uh,
0: it's kind of pointless, really. But the initial part, it was really, really helpful for them. La. so uh, they, they went on that platform then they started to grow like crazy and then they focused on the extremely cheap products like cheaper than Pao. And, um, and then also they started to do this thing where it's like the, the customer to manufacturer model so mm. the based on what the customer wants the manufacturer amend, amend their lines to sell to these people but to be fair I think other people are doing it but one thing that the uh, Pintuotuo really leveled into is into the value for money aspect mm. of this because they also started to... One of their ads was very famous. It's an, it's an ad of like, you know, this orange. If you were to buy it from the... from they, they tell the orange, the process, it goes through all the various middlemen. And then they say, okay, you want to buy this orange from from the supermarket, it's 15 yen. I'm selling you the same amount of oranges for so 5 yuan. Mm. Why? Because it goes directly from farmer to my warehouse to you. Mm. Instead of going from farmer to middleman, middleman to bigger middleman, bigger middleman to even bigger middleman, then warehouse, then, then, then you know... Just, the, the whatever, and then refrigeration cost, storing that, etc. Correct. Correct. So, they really leveraged on that, and then they they just grew like crazy. La. So, Pintuatuau grew, grew at like, what, 100% per quarter, mm. and and like, some, something obscene. But it offered a value proposition to the clients,
2: like what you just described. I mean, why would you want to pay the middleman when you can get equally uh, similar, or even better experiences at a cheaper price?
0: To be fair, it's not... That was something that they did a bit more, a bit better. Mm. But one thing was also is that uh, they also understood fully that now that all the platforms that the underlying infrastructure are built, mm. and because as a whole the market is still very underpenetrated, what you should do is that you should light money on fire and treat it as PPE investments. Mm. Like these kind of e-commerce platforms are a huge positive cash flow generators because what happens is that people sell their products there. And then the cash is held there for a few days or a month, and then it goes to the seller. Correct. So there's a there's a there's non-stop. The more you sell, the more cash you have. So PinToTo is one of those special companies uh, that actually burn every cent mm. for their operating cash flows into shipping subsidies, everything. Like Baba never did that, lah. So, uh, or they never lit that much money on fire compared to them. But in hindsight, I suppose Baba should have. Just you know, don't even bother making a profit. Just light all the money on fire and then just, just go- Just to capture market share. Yeah. And also the problem is, um, so that was, that was how Pintuotuot come up. And then the next one would be Shopee. So Shopee was similar to Pintuotuot. So what happened is that, or C Limited, mm. Shopee was similar in that they realized, okay, number one, uh, infrastructure is all built. Mm. So let's light money on fire. Like Shopee only started to monetize in like 2018 and mm. very little- like mm. they were getting like billions in GMV, and they just say, "I'm not going to charge a cent. In fact, I'm going to give up subsidies." Okay. Now, and then the second part is this: if you think about like again, now uh, you look at the initial model of the of the of the of an e-commerce platform. Uh, the first thing you need is trustability as well as a large selection of goods. Correct. Now, eBay and Amazon they pioneered a way which is basically the seller can give something to the customer in order to give them review, and then they always looked at paying for reviews as a seller's job because. Mm seller is benefiting for it yeah but shopee is like no i benefit from it so they were like i'm going to give people like one cent per per review and they're going to do it yeah and so they did and so if you look at if you go back in time to like 2017 and you look at the average review per item like you just i mean now it's hard to say yeah there's, there's a lot more reviews yes okay so that was one thing that they really changed. And then the second thing is is Nobody has ever used, at least I don't know in China, but I know in like Southeast Asia or all these areas, nobody ever used traditional marketing channels for, for marketing. Like mm. for example, I only started using e-commerce in
1: 2020. Mm. Wow. Okay.
0: That is completely unacceptable. <laughs> if if I'm the boss of Shopee or the boss of Lazada, I should actually fire my marketing department because a guy like me should not be only using e-commerce in 2020. Mm, it should have been earlier than that. Yes. And the only reason I use Shopee is because of the damn radio ads. The <laughs> shop
2: John, it's so it's so funny. You know my son, who is five, uh, Yeah. He sings that is by
0: heart, you know. Exactly. It's crazy. I think it's, it's insane. <laughs> Sorry. No yeah. So <laughs> you think about that. Uh, yeah. So if you look at a Lazada ad, uh, the only way I will ever find a Lazada ad uh, is if uh, I somehow decide to play a video game and then they force me to watch the ad and then yeah. yes, it's a Lazada ad. A I always see Lazada ads, Shopee mm. ads maybe about 30% of the time, but mostly it's a Lazada, Lazada ad. Mm. But the problem is you do not utilize these normal distribution like you look at brazilian ones they never use radio for a long time they never use radio to to advertise it so Shopee did that because yeah. they realized that, look, infrastructure is all built. Yes. So what do we need now? We just need to fight for market share. Like, Shout not-
1: about it. La. Shout about the platform.
0: Correct. So they went and paid people for that. They gamified it the way Pintuwa did in, in a much like higher level. Mm. Like, you know, every day, like my girlfriend, you know, she will always like, bring her phone I up to tap and make sure I get the three coins per day. And then yeah. next day it's four <laughs> coins, next day it's five. Dollars. I'm like, you know, they're literally paying you like approximately... 70 cents per hour to do this. But yeah, like you see, but you know, million, Millionaire Wife will just keep doing that because, yeah. no, because it's the exact same aspect, you see, like men will spend the time to play video games when it's completely negative EV. Yeah. Like even for me, I sometimes I just can't help myself. Like every few months I will download a game and Then I'll play it for three days. Then I'll notice it take up approximately three hours of my time. And then these three hours is actually taking, is actually like costing me money just in terms of me doing my own work. And thank God I don't spend money. That's a that's a line I draw. But it doesn't change the fact that it burns money, yeah, you know. Yeah. So if people are willing to burn money playing video games, why will not they be willing to burn money, you know, giving you reviews? I'm like, you know, like, like my my girlfriend insists always on giving the right review with picture and video. I'm like that that takes up time. Like, no, 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 it's okay. Then, then, the Just yes, to is, get the five coins. <laughs> yes. And, and the thing is that people think of themselves as doing the other people a favor. Mm. They'll be like, oh, my review will help the other people to make purchase. Because when I wanted to make this purchase, I wanted to find good reviews about this product, but I can't find. So now I will give the good review. But you only... But you see, people, people do have an altruistic sense to them. So yeah. they go... So, you know, the, the thing Shopee really did very well is to, you know, pay people like, you know, 0.5% the living wage. And then like really make money off your altruistic sense all that kind of stuff like, So they they monetize like crazy. So they again they just lit the money on fire and then just like because it's you, all you need to do is get customers. You see, yeah. Once you hit, it's like once you hit a certain amount of customers or in YouTube sense of subscribers, then then you're set. You see. So um, that was the e-commerce platform as a whole. Now the difference between this and Alibaba is that well now why do I say Alibaba has a problem? Alibaba has a problem because. So this comes back into China now and tech, mm. okay? Now Alibaba has a problem because uh, Alibaba has a huge amount of ego, okay? I think it was because uh, Jack Ma once went to Pony Ma and then asked for some money when he was like very young and very new and then Jack Pony Ma said no. So after that, you look at, you know, they, they and then after that, when they started to rise up, they just competed, competed with each other on everything, mm. okay? So for example, there was one time when uh when 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 there was one so so basically when the when when Pony did a live streaming channel ICE, or or supported by doing their usual 35% investment or whatever then Jack Ma was like, okay we're gonna do ours then which mm. is like mango or something and then when this will do music streaming he wants to do music streaming when they so do. so tit for tat in a way la. yes but here's the thing, like so, the thing is that they always say, "Oh, this thing makes sense because what happens is that we can use their data, package it like Amazon Amazon Prime, and then our, we can use their data to go, you know, and 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 monetize what type of things they want to buy, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But the thing is that it would have been more efficient if you worked together with Jack Ma. Mm. With, sorry, with, with, with Tencent. There was the fun in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there was this time when. Uh, Meituan's CEO went to meet Jack Ma and he was like, okay, you know, you have Erlama, we have Meituan, which is basically together with Tencent. Then he said, you remember back then there was a e there an e-hailing in China. I think it was DD and Chu Sing, yeah. yes. DD Sing. So he said, you know, last time you guys could work together, bind together, become DD Sing, Wasn't it a good thing? Hmm. Then Daniel Zhang, the CEO of, of Alibaba, actually said, uh, we consider that a failure. The fact that we work together in this was a failure. <laughs> Because for him, he says that what they wanted was Alibaba to win, not for this uh, two. So, too much. you know, okay. for me, that doesn't make sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense to combine it together and then you just make the money and take the, the, the proportion of share. La. Mm. So, you know, I did my math, you know, like for me, that's the problem. Unlike Pony, Tencent is different. Tencent has no imagination but Tencent has a very good eye on the money. Mm. So they will always go like, oh, we have no ambition because we, we, not they will go. That's what they're saying. They have no ambition because they have WeChat, which just provides all the traffic in the world. So their age is that I can provide traffic. Yeah. So they went and just monetize their traffic like crazy and then mm. just own stakes in all these companies and help them succeed. Mm. A Berkshire Hathaway, la, I suppose. Yeah. But, ten, but Baba is like, oh, we're going to make it succeed ourselves. But then they don't have the level of management that you need mm. because to start up to to do a startup from the bottom uh, I mean you can't just have like you know you can't hire somebody to run it I I don't know how to put it it's you know the guys who run Pintuoto the guys who run like like who who run like Shopee the only way you can do it is you need them to work for you need to find those guys buy 35% of their company and have them work for you like crazy yeah so that was what BBK uh, Popu which is the owner of Oppo, Realme, all this. He he did very well. He does a lot of these investments and Tencent as well. Hmm. So there is actually for me right now the way I look at there is no field where Tencent is where where Baba is actually far ahead of the competition now. Like in I fact, see every like also like for example in terms of like the the live streaming they they were the first ones to really start it and then for a long time they're like 80% market share and then double every year, just like that. Hmm. But today people just went, you know, Toyin and Kwai sure decide to light money on fire. And hmm. so right. now you struggle. So it's and then so so now it's uh, but like I said, the thing is that maybe the growth slows, but you still have like a billion a billion customers. So
1: So speaking, speaking of that, I think there's been a lot of uh so we talked a lot about the industry and the specific companies, maybe take a bigger view, higher view now of, of China and a so whole. I think one of the interesting things that I saw that day was that I think since was it 2009, 2010 or something like that, obviously China has grown quite a big sum, right? Yeah. And you'd expect the stock market to do as well, but yeah. I think the stock market is only up like what 70% in <laughs> 10 over years, something along that line. So like, if you're someone who has money and maybe they want to allocate money into China, right? um, Obviously you're in it. So what would be, I I get your words of comfort if there's any to be in (laughs) China, because I think there's a lot of fear that, oh, there's the government crackdown. There's VIE structures. There's all these little things that a lot of people are very worried about China.
0: Okay. So the thing that people tend to forget is that China was in Donald Trump's word, I suppose, a shithole as early back as 1980. Mm. Okay. In half a generation that went from shithole that can't even that can't even lift their eyes in front of the US to now telling them they're assholes. Mm. Yeah. You know, so in 40 years. So that if people used to say that, you know, Lee Kuan Yu was a magician when it comes to management, well, China. China learned from Lee Kuan Yew and then basically yep. put a, a whole... They put steroids on it. They, they didn't put steroids. They put uh, poor and determined Chinese people on it. <laughs> 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 that's, the, that's the key thing they put. They put very poor and very determined Chinese people. Very who hungry. <laughs> Whose who's Chinese New Year, they always say, si fa cai. You, you tell these people, let's make money, they're going to work at it. Yeah. So that's one. So now what, what, what people need to realize is that China... Is still finding its way, but the thing is that historically, okay. If you look at every, this is people make it sound it's so uncommon for crackdowns to happen in China, but it's so common. Every mm. every like five years, a big crackdown happens, and mm. then you know the, certain industries will take their pick. It can be luxury goods, it yeah. can be medicine, it can. This time is tech, okay. So for example. And this, coincis- this coincides very nicely with uh, the CCP re-election period mm, like, you know, mm, when mm. the guy needs a new leadership. So for example, just a bit of a story. Um, but the thing is that on a very fundamental level, the CCP does know that um, they need to work for the betterment of the people. Mm. Okay? like If you look at Chinese policy, there's, it's actually really, really hard to find a bad Chinese policy for that it comes to in terms of for the people what was good or bad for them as a whole mm-hmm. okay so for example just to give an example uh about you, you go back to i think which year uh, 2013 or 2014 or whatever you look at every single chinese medical stocks the price goes like that okay now why did the price go like that It's very simple because historically before that, all the Chinese medical companies, they sell their medicines directly to the hospitals, etc. So prices were starting to go to be be expensive. So the Chinese government went and like, you know what, we're going to solve this issue. So what they did was they created a body that consolidated the purchases of medicine for every single (coughs) public hospital in China. Into one body. Mm. And everybody who wants to sell medicine to China must negotiate only with that body. I see. Yeah. Medicine prices drop by 90%. Mm. So yes, you're going to...
1: It's one big group purchasing organisation essentially. Exactly.
0: And and it's actually good. Because what you get now is that the medicine prices in China is almost the same as I suppose India, where it's like Mm. they're the generic of the world. Yeah. And... If you think about that, like which which country doesn't have this? Well, you know U.S. La, and that's why yes. their pills are like like in in the U.S. like some generic pills are usually a thousand dollars per pill, when yeah. you can get it outside of here for like two dollars. And the only Correct. reason is because you know the FDA did not approve other generic makers etc. Mm. And they did not. And for example, for for let's say an Indian company to export their pills to the U.S. is a lot of work. Uh-huh. Yes. So. So that's one problem. So uh, so every year they, they come up with these enforcements, but the reason why they also have crackdowns a lot or what people think about crackdowns is because as a very young country, a lot of the laws are not formed. They don't wake up in the middle of the day and then be like, okay, our ex colonial masters are the British. So let's copy their laws, lock, yeah. stock and barrel and yeah. put it in here and then let's use it. They went and be like, we're gonna come up with our own laws. So. If you look at the tech industry, it's just a matter of time. Yes. Okay. So when the tech industry was first starting up, these guys were doing the country a favour. Yeah. It is. It is doing the country a favour. So Xi Jinping and, and everybody and the CCP just went, you know what, you guys grow as much as you want. We won't bother you at all. Okay. Now, at some point, the business started to not so much grow the industry but be very extractive. Mm. So let's say you gamify everything, you use insanely good recommendation engines and the data of everyone you have to recommend things that people would otherwise not buy, and mm. then you extract from them. Yeah. So it became very, very exploitative and extractive. Now, the the, the optimal Chinese business is this thing called, have you heard this, this sauce called Lao Gan
1: yep, the chili, right?
0: Yes. Ma. It's actually
1: like Sambal Blachan or that, something like oh, that. Yeah, but that, Chinese, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Chinese version.
0: I've seen it, but I've yeah. I've tasted it, but I don't know what's the name. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Got, it
1: got popular because the WWE wrestler, John Cena yeah, kept John talking Cena. about uh. Laokan Ma. Now,
0: you know the Laokan Ma sauce in China, if you buy uh, it's like less than seven yuan per bottle. Okay, But if you buy in the US, it's like 70 to 80 yuan per bottle once you cut. Uh. So people ask Laokan Ma, why in America it's so cheap? In America so 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 She said very simple. I want to make the foreigners' money. I don't want to make the Chinese money.
4: Mm. While well, the tech
0: companies are making the Chinese money and not the foreigners' money. So it's the, the reverse, the flip yes, side. Yes, correct. Mm. So now they are... So what's happening is that the tech companies are not going from, you know, from are not go, are not being enforced unfairly. They, mm. they went from zero enforcement to normal levels of enforcement. Mm. Okay. And that's a huge jump for anybody in China. Now, if you look at like People, oh, all these acquisitions, they, they, they look at the fines coming up from all these acquisitions all the time and then they go, oh, this, this thing is bad. But I mean, Facebook was just banned from buying Giphy. Yeah. And Giphy is like the most, I mean, not the most stupid. Like That's the wrong word to think about. Is it, You don't think about a company buying a GIF provider as monopolistic activities. Mm. Like if Facebook is paying, I don't know how much you plan to pay, like five six 600 million for Giphy. What they're saying is that I would rather spend five, 600 million and get Giphy now than spend the cheaper than that amount to build my own Giphy. Correct. Okay. But they can't. So imagine that. Now the the, the China, what happened is that they've been acquiring companies. Like there's no such thing as like anti monopolistic law in China <laughs> for a long time. And that was why Baba and, and Tencent can just, you know, throw their weight around. And then it, it, it's a fact in China, you know, yeah. if you don't have Tencent or Baba behind you, your, your, your tech business is going to fail. Yeah. Okay, so what's happening now is that they are retrospectively fining these people for this, but the fines are not big. The only one who really got a big fine was Baba. Mm. And that's, and also because a lot of the billionaires, so this is also a Baba problem. So the, the thing is that Jack Ma, there was one time when they were in the US, all the tech billionaires had lunch together but they didn't invite Jack Ma and then they put a picture of it online. And then people were like, where's Jack Ma? And then mm. Jack Ma felt insulted. So he went and organized his own lunch. <laughs> he brought Bill Gates, George W. Bush, everybody over and don't invite any of the tech guys mm. because it's the Alibaba event. Mm. So you sense the, the, the ego kind of shit. Yeah. So what happened? And then the thing is that Jack Ma, for a long time, uh, these tech billionaires thought that the, the problem with tech billionaires is that, I mean, when you make like, you know, Hundred billion, then you start to think that you own the world. And the thing is that the CCP can never accept that lah because mm. for them, number one is always CCP. Mo- money is different from power, and, mm. and power is more valuable than money. So um so Jack Ma, you know, there was one time when the when there was this guy from the government, he said to he 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 sent out a white paper saying that oh there's a lot of fake goods on, on Alibaba platform, etc. Alibaba Jack Ma went and wrote that guy's name exactly on Weibo, and then say, "Hey, don't, don't, don't simply slander us. You know, we've been doing well. what, like that is actually a completely unheard of thing that you should never say to them, la. Yes, but back then they were growing, and Jack Ma was close to Xi Jinping, so whatever it did, you know, let you guys do. So when when people see that Jack Ma can do that, other people start to also you know push around, you know, like like that, like the government would tell Tencent slow down acquisitions, Tencent, well, oh, it's okay, it's okay, and they acquire anyway. So. Uh what's happening now is that the the government is have a lot of then you, we obviously know all the story of what Jack Ma said and then that just shifted because Xi Jinping at that moment was just like, you know what? My elections are coming up. Let's Good show timing, you who's yeah. boss. Yeah. Yeah. So now everybody everybody's getting fine and all this, but they are not going to the un, unspeakable roots. Let me just put it that way. Like mm. um they are they are they are they are pushing back but it's, it's the, the regulations are still in line with what you would expect in other countries. The only difference is that uh, unlike in other countries, you are at the behest of a benevolent dictator. La. So there's no such thing as going to court to fight your 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 stuff. La. You just shut mm-hmm. up and you just pay. Yeah. I think,
2: if would it be fair for me to retrospect if you look at it when the US was also going through a capitalistic growth and mm-hmm. they had conglomerates that grew, grew so big, companies like Standard Oil, companies like AT&T. And in a way, the government was playing catch-up similar to what China is experiencing yeah. now. La, because if you think about it, like you, what you said, in 40 years, China transformed from a very, very socialist backward state to, mm. to today. The government is always a lagging indicator in a way. Yeah. Government policies and all that, they're now realizing, hey, the US did this. They had to break up the Mabel. They had to break up the Standard Oil. Correct. And this is the learning curve that
0: China is experiencing today. Correct. Yeah. And um, and and also what's happening is that, you know, I think it also makes a lot of sense because like, you know, you, you don't want your tech companies to stop being value adds; instead they extract. Mm. So what's happening is that China has always their preference is that you want to make money from the foreigners. Mm. So if you're investing in China, you want to always look at the people who Make money from the foreigners or use the foreigners to save money for the locals yeah but that's a very interesting point i want to peel a little bit deeper jonathan if you
2: look at where the success of tencent alibaba today you don't see them being in a way very internationalized when i say internationalized, i mean if you look at amazon they've been very very successful in in, in their home state mm. but not so much in other places maybe a little bit in india maybe a little bit in latin america is it somewhat of an e-commerce curse because ebay went through the same thing they tried to go to china they they, they, they lost out and then um yeah and alibaba true maybe because of lazada and all that they're still losing out here is, is that something of an e-commerce curse that is always always very localized or just a just a, like a big company yeah. curse as well yeah
0: I yeah i think the us has 400 million in population something mm, like that yeah china is 1.8 yes so that's the first step. They go and be like. Yeah, one, wait, one no, point. No, 1.8. 1.2. No, sorry, 1.2. 1.3. 1.3. I didn't realize the Chinese I was, population. I double. was thinking of the vaccine numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I forget, kind of need divide by two and then plus a bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's about 1.3. So they have 3x the population. That's yeah. one. Yeah. So their population is so huge that you can be successful in China and not do anything else. Mm. I mean, if you think of it, if you put yourself in, in let's say, who any of their shoes, You're growing at like 60% per year, Mm. okay? You're making money hand over face, and then everywhere you look, you look at the same China face, and then all of them are trying to eat your lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the thing is, the fact is, it's already extremely hard to compete in China, I see. Okay? What happens if you put a Chinaman out of China? Forestly, Sea mm, Limited and Shopee, mm, 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 you know. And now we will see how he will do in Brazil where that's right, that's right. Mercado Libre is going to realize what it means to compete with the Chinese. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that's the first one. It's just that they, the local business was too good. And then the second part is that the tech business in China started with consumer facing ones mm. because it's the most profitable tech business Co- ever. Mm, mm. They never went into business-to-business. B- business. mm, yeah, That's a very good point. While for the US, it's so developed that they have a huge business-to-business business market which they can then export. So uh, I guess what's going to happen is that the tech business in China will need to now start to grow the business-to-business business end mm. So mm. they are still going to spend an obscene amount in China to go and solve the grocery shopping, the, the, the farming problems and all these kind of things. But the... And, I, and in terms of like tech exports, now this is one thing that I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I always felt like, you know, like, people, like Ray Dalio spoke about the rising of first world the yep. third, and then the, the, the falling right. of the so yeah. 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 yeah The problem is that I think this is a, it's kind of a different scenario. I feel like it's kind of going to be more like uh China versus West mm. versus instead of like the fall of the US. It's mm. more like, because the difference is that China, unlike the US, does not try to hide its ambitions. Uh, it's actually very aggressive towards it, although, and stuff like that. So uh, they have the right to. But um, so what's going to happen is, and then also the second question here is that I keep wondering to myself is that if let's say my name is my name is a standard chartered, okay, uh, would I ever put my software or my data all on a Alibaba server? unlikely but even if Alibaba offer me half the price and two times the capabilities unlikely exactly. I think their
1: risk management team will not allow that la, yeah. there's,
0: like there's no way anybody that is on any risk sensitive items will ever go and put it on a Chinese server because mm. the thing is that people are very clear that in China the the government needs to say one word and everything is yes correct so you you can never put highly sensitive things on there and so you're not gonna yeah it's it's very hard to think of a place where the the I think B 2 b China is gonna find it really difficult other than in proper hardware manufacturing stuff and uh, yeah, but for consumer items, I think for the global one, is they, they're still gonna be they' they they are gonna continuously gain market share like you know like yeah m- higher, higher yeah and then all this me. me me electronics is fantastic business yeah. yeah. so me TV yeah <laughs> exactly it's
2: always the best price one best price and uh you know uh i was just telling 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 the team i bought this tv i bought one for my home mm. and then i showed one to a, a, fr- a good friend of mine who has uh and, and he went and he also bought one and i remember you because of you i don't know whether you know this because of him buying the 34 inch uh monitor because ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know yeah a, a, a fella like him right? Yeah. Is already. Pass all the ticks, right? Correct, correct. It's stingy, it's stingy enough to get value for money? Then I go and buy yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, me me is quite an interesting business. Like if, if you think about their business, uh, yeah. Like, the brand has a has a scale of its own. You see, yeah. So, uh, um, what happens if, uh how do I put it, uh, so, so me, because they sell phones and all this kind of stuff. Correct. Your brand actually extends to like all the smaller consumer electronics Precisely. items. Precisely. Which are non-high tech, but people are just going to go like, oh, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter if it's non-high tech. The yeah. fact that you can sell phones means you sell this pretty well too. And then they come up with their own proper design language. And then you you look at a Xiaomi product, you touch it, you kind of know it's a Xiaomi product. Correct, correct, yeah.
2: correct. And you know, before before this podcast, we were sharing about the, the, the shaving ball and you're talking yeah. about the hair clipper. Yeah. Right, right. So, how, how much do you remember how much you got it for? I think I
0: bought it for 40 ringgit or Yeah, 40
2: ringgit. And you're very pleased with the, the product. Yeah, or? here's the
0: thing. I remember the process. I was looking for shaving clippers and then I thought to myself, let me find the cheapest one possible. Mm. The cheapest one possible was like 13 ringgit. Okay, now I was like, let's find the most expensive one possible. Yeah. The most expensive one possible was like this German looking one that was like 200 over ringgit. Okay. Okay. Then I was looking at all of these options. Xiaomi uh, is somewhere in the middle around, mm. somewhere above the, the bottom, which is 30, 40. But when I looked at it, uh, you know, people just don't want to buy the cheapest, cheapest Correct. one. Correct. In general, because you always feel like the one is worse. Yeah. And then when I look at the Xiaomi one, other people want the packaging, it all looks like shit. The, 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 the item looks cheap, etc. But Xiaomi, they have a way of making their plastics not look cheap. Correct. Yeah. And then when you buy it, there's a consistent, there's a consistent, like you if you go to this, there's a Xiaomi online shop uh, in China. And then you go to it. All of their uh, item listings, the ad writing is fantastic. And then there's oh. always like a consistent language and consistent font, consistent colors that they use. Okay, And so when you look at it, you know, you, you always feel like this is a Xiaomi product. Mm. So, so they are doing that very, very well. Uh, so that's why I quite like it. And then they, they, they are quite smart. So what they do is that we do... So, for the key items where price is a huge factor, like their phones, they manufacture themselves. But for items like all these like electronics, what they can do is that they just order like, you know, outsource to an OEM
2: yeah. and, then, and then get it to... to. No, because my, my house is literally being
0: invaded by, by Xiaomi. Xiaomi. Exactly. It's, it's quite scary. <laughs> it's really quite no, scary. And here's, and here's the problem. It's like, whatever you buy or sell me, you've never been disappointed. Oh, well, exactly. I, I'm not the only... Okay,
2: slight disappointment is like I bought this vacuum cleaner, cordless mm. vacuum cleaner, for my wife, and mm. my wife always, I have lost count of how many cordless vacuum cleaners I spent because oh. the the the, bat, bat, the battery life will die, right? That's the only thing that I think Xiaomi has kind of disappointed me. Mm. But I I think about it, I bought something three times more expensive, which was a Panasonic. It also failed on me. I bought I I'm I'm not insane that I'll go for a for a Dyson yet, mm. but. Overall, everything that I bought, like what you said is n- never disappointed me. La. So, far, la,
1: I, so I, far. I think you keep complaining at that, right? Yeah. Soon you will be hit with ads really. Yeah, so yeah I know, I know. So, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you know you're complaining.
0: It's actually quite funny. I, that was precisely the reason why I didn't want to, I didn't want to buy a cordless vacuum cleaner because uh, of the battery. Yeah. But when I bought a cordless one, I realized how irritating it is. Exactly. Even though it's like 50 bucks cheaper, it's like an 80 bucks vacuum cleaner, but it's still like, then you think, you know what? But then you kind of, uh, I don't know.
4: <laughs> it's right.
1: yeah. so we talk a lot about uh, uh China. I'm sure we can go on and on this, but uh let's let's head home a bit, right? Mm. Uh, I know one area you are quite interested in for Malaysia <coughs> uh, is oil and gas. Yeah. And specifically hibiscus. Yeah. Hibiscus has um is something that uh we cover, especially John. Mm. Um, they're involved in you know brownfield assets, turning them profitable, almost like cigar butt investors essentially, but for oil and gas platforms. Yeah, and yeah, what what caught your attention and why is it something that you want to talk about?
0: So uh, I guess for me, you know, hibiscus was one idea that is actually quite, I suppose, near and dear to my heart mm. because I remember back in 2016. I was talking to a... that time I was going to this uh I was going back to school for my accounting exams and then I met my friend this my friend Joel there. Then we were talking about stocks a bit, and then you know, I, I was asking him what do you buy? Then he told me he bought hibiscus. Then he thought then because he thought the idea made a lot of sense, he liked the Anasuya fields and shit. And then I remember that time I was still very stupid. So for me, I thought myself, okay, let's look at the annual report. Oh, massive losses. Because the past have massive losses, the future will also include massive losses. I will never look at hibiscus. Hibiscus was like 25 cents then and then now it's, then it went up to like a high of 1.5. Yeah. Okay. So that was a main one. So I remember after that, sometime in like 2017, 2018 or 2019, I can't remember which year, I decided to sit down and properly study hibiscus. Back then, I call it properly. La, but what happened was I basically sat down, go through the numbers, go through the, the fields, etc. And then I got an understanding on the business and then I thought, okay, actually it's not that expensive. Back then at at 23 cents, it's actually Mm. like stupidly cheap. Mm. Okay. So today, so about, not today, probably like a few months back, I started to look at Hibiscus again, mainly from the Repsol acquisition. Mm. So, um, I think it's quite a straightforward, you know, idea. So the, the first idea is that I, I, I always, people like to say that, you know, we can we can exceed oil and gas. You know, the world can run without <laughs> oil and gas. And then I always point out, I always show them this very beautiful chart. You know, I'll show them a chart of GDP per capita over the last 500 years. And then I'll show them the chart of oil and gas production over the last 500 years. Mm. And you will notice the exact same thing. Completely flat, and then right around which year was oil discovered? Probably nineteen forty-seven or something like Chi- that. Yeah. China first,
2: but wasn't massive. Then it was in Mississippi in the US. Uh. Yep.
0: When did yeah. they start to pro- like did they start to refine it? Uh John D. Rockefeller, yeah, that was 1910 yeah, yeah. Kerosene, or something, right? Yeah,
2: 1910, somewhere there when when Rockefeller actually started lah.
0: Yeah, yeah, sometime like 1910, et cetera. Yeah. Or somewhere like eighteen eighty something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 You look at now GDP per capita. uh, If you look at historically for the last 500 years or even the last 10,000 years, if you want to, uh, Mm, it has never gone above 1% per year until 1910 or 1920. Mm. Why was that the case? It's very simple. Previous fuels like wood only give you when wood first came out, we had like fuel efficiency of like 5% or whatever, Mm. something stupidly low. Mm. And then when coal came out, we had something a bit higher, you Mm. know, but you only got like 10% 10% or less. Petrol, when it was first discovered, of crude oil was first discovered, gave you a fuel efficiency of like 30 to 40%, three or four times higher. Correct. Okay. And because you you have this incredible fuel efficiency, you can now go on to go and create other things. Correct. Plastics, fertilizer. Like if there is no natural gas, there's no fertilizer, period. Okay.
1: There's no modern world, basically.
0: Yes. So I come from this perspective and I think to myself, okay, that's a... So so that's one thing I always come to the conclusion, which is that you cannot live without oil and gas. Now, you come down to the second part of the equation then. So uh, oil and gas, we obviously know the big price hike in 20... It was very high in 2013, 2014.
2: 2013, yeah. uh, 100 over.
0: Yeah. And then after that, there was a crash. So what happened is that, you know, basically this is a commodity business. And then when it comes to commodities, like supply demand people think oh if supply goes up by five percent so what nothing right Mm. but that's not the case for commodities business for commodities business when the supply is higher by five percent the price can drop by 50 percent because it's it's so tight you see the supply demand Mm. but if the supply is lower by five percent the price can go up two times three times and that's the case for for example i think um the, the shipping one, I think the price is prices are up about eight times. Mm, and that's yeah. only due to like a 12 or 13% shortfall in, in supply of the ships. La. Yeah. So, so, so we're looking at that kind of supply-demand dynamics. Now, oil and gas, uh, the interesting thing is that you know everybody is so is so hoo-ha about it in 2013 and 14. That but that was a peak. After the price dropped like crazy in 2016, at first people were still like, okay, we will invest. We will still invest. But then when it really drops until like $30, then people start to like, you know, go and be like, you know what, we need to slow down. And from 2013 to 2019, it's just a constant downward trend for all the oil and gas companies, even in the US, but not so extreme because they pay a lot of dividends, etc. Okay. And um, so what's happening over the last easily six, seven, eight years is that there's been a constant underinvestment in it. La. Okay so what we can and then and then when the pandemic hit and the price goes to negative and then you have this situation where investors overseas are basically telling the oil and gas companies if you invest in capex into oil and gas uh i will sell your shares because a lot of these investors they are not investing their own money yeah so they are like oh we, we need we need green. ESG, we la, we need ESG la. <laughs> i mean i'm not trying to disparage ESG i suppose there is a case for lowering the amount of carbon dioxide in our environment but I'm not sure if this is the way to go, but never mind. So anyway, uh there's been a huge underinvestment for quite some time. And so I don't, and then, and so what happens after the pandemic was that you know, so 2016, we discovered this thing called fracking, where people learned that you know there are new ways to pull out oil from the US. And so US goes from like the from no oil production to the biggest one. oil producer again in the world. They used to be the biggest. Mm. So um that that really distorted demand, and then a lot of this. Back then, the shale oil companies are like, oh, we're just going to pump as much as possible because we we want to expand. But now, if you look at the language for all the shale oil companies they are going, we're not going to expand, etc. So now, let's come back to Hibiscus. Uh, Hibiscus is quite an interesting company. When they first listed, they were like, you know, they were like, oil oh, price is so high, we're going to try and find new fields because mm. that was the cheapest way. Then they tried to do the new fields thing and they were semi-successful. They are one in Oman and uh, the one in... Iceland actually did quite well. But the problem was that in 2015, when the oil, 2016 when the oil crash hit, that was the same time these companies were like, oh, we need cash by the way. Mm. And Hibiscus couldn't come up with the cash. So the other company, Rex International, went and paid up the cash themselves at a highly dilutive price. And that caused Hibiscus stake in the business to go from like 30% to zero. Mm. Because they basically got get to buy shares at like some stupidly low price because of whatever agreement structure, et cetera. And so Hibiscus there and then should have died. Uh, actually at, at that year it should have died but somehow that same year in 2016 because of these oil and gas companies are usually MNCs whenever a crisis hit the MNCs all just come together to a room and just you know they all feel scared it's not their money and then uh, they think to themselves what's the most popular thing that we should do that does off your MBA textbooks and then they <laughs> say sell non-core assets regardless of price they say sell non-core assets and then they add on themselves regardless of price huh? <laughs> so the so that was how the the hibiscus got the Anasura deal mm. which if you look at the numbers basically gave them IRR of like four months or something like that mm. and then they also got the psc deal the south Saba psc deal which Not again north, Sabah. north Sabah psc deal which also gave them like a IRR of something really low like also mm. around six months or whatever that's crazy man yeah yeah mm. and then obviously after that no such deals anymore yeah. they kind of have to start to dig a bit vic37 all this kind yes of stuff. It's just you know because they, these guys woke up and like oh by the way the fields are still making money let's let's keep them, and then the one thing that I feel sad is at that period when uh, hibiscus was coming up like and making a lot of money, Rex International the Oman fields actually like found a lot of oil mm. and is actually quite quite starting to need the money, but Rex International the price dropped like crazy because it was an investment phase at that period if hibiscus bought the shares in Rex mm, and they like take made... them over themselves it'll be 10x now on that that particular one. Yeah, But now mine is too late. So again, 2020 happened and then the big crash happened and then again, you know, all these MNC bosses again wake up and be like, oh, let's bring out our MBA textbooks, sell non-core assets regardless (laughs) of price. (laughs) And then now there's a top down they are topped up with, you know, Greta Thunberg telling them, you know, don't do this, don't like, you know, don't don't think anymore, etc. So they went and sell off again their field, the Repsol field to Hibiscus. And from what we can see, the IRR of this, like this Repsol field is going, there's a few key things about this Repsol field. First is that it's probably going to triple the profits of Hibiscus. Mm. That's one. But number two, people went and thought, oh, it's only going to triple the profits, but only for a few years because the, there's right. only the reserves are limited. But that's where I went and go. I'm going to understand how they calculate these reserves. Mm. And turns out the reserves, among other things, is limited by the amount of your concession contract. Yep. So if you can extend your concession contract, good now the 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 owners for the hibiscus the management said that okay we are already going to negotiate that to talk about the extension of this contract then i say what are the odds of it happening they say very very likely i say well you know why would you say that he says it's very simple number one for every single oil company in malaysia at least he says they always get to extend the contract because if you don't extend my contract what's going to happen is that i will just do zero maintenance capex And if i do zero maintenance capex i will make an obscene amount of money now and what's going to happen is that at the end of it you're going to get back the asset but it's going to be in horrible condition let's say you go i want to be cheap on this i'm not going to extend i'm going to take over myself and then build out myself but when you take over it it's going to be in such horrible condition that you literally cannot run it another day and you're going to spend an obscene amount of money to go and do to go and maintain it but the thing is that when you seal off a well, it's not like when the well comes back up, it's the same amount of oil will pour out, you see. It's Correct. probably like less or whatever. It, it affects the production. Mm. So it's actually more economical for you to just... And you'll probably spend easily 2 billion or something like that to go and like... I, I this my estimate, like, to go and re, redo all everything because it's, you know, little bit of maintenance and a lot of maintenance, the price is like exponential difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, you know, so they say it's very likely... And so I was like, okay. So if we were to assume it's very likely and then we extend the concession period, et cetera, you realize that Hibiscus is selling for something like 3X earnings or less. Mm. And that's based on the oil price of like $60. But if you bring it up to current prices of $70 or $80, I think it's a lot higher. Mm. So the next portion of the question is obviously that, you know, and the the thing about these agreements is that they're, they're, they're the most beautiful agreements you've ever seen. Like the company will say, okay, we agree at this price at this date. Uh, you need to purchase it within let's say a year or whatever and then the thing is that all the earnings from this date onwards accrue to you. Mm. So let's say when you do purchase it within a year, what happens is often that this company has made the, the oil field that you're going to buy has made so much money that they can just take the money from the oil field and then pay to that company and then you get the asset for close to free or close to zero IRR.
4: Mm.
0: And no, sorry, not as zero, like 100 or 120 or 200% IRR or something like that. So um so it's a it's a really good deal. So you know, I I thought to myself, I but the thing is that even in 2016, when the people first found this Real deal, and then you could see the numbers properly, um, the stock price never moved. For a long time it did not move, only when the oil started to flow out, sometime in like late 2016, early 2017, then the stock price started to shoot from 30, 30 cents to $1.50. Mm. So I think it's just a matter of the of the market feeling a lot of that you know they they're not seeing it yet so they are, so they don't believe it for now
2: um i would add a few things as well john yeah. one one is also i don't know if you managed to see this piece of news the eu now is mm. starting uh last week starting to draft laws that define gas investments as green investments yes gas- <laughs> nice. i i kid you not seriously that caught my eye because i was like yes. Uh, I wanted to add to the video today, MJ, but I thought it was just too much to, but in this long That's form, funny, exactly. yeah, yeah it's like, I, I was reading it and I was like, I was laughing because this from, from an, oh, I guess executive, right? I was like, okay. Mm. But the reason why they did that, John, was because of this ESG team, mm. it is actually hurting the amount of portfolio or the size of portfolios or certain funds that are being trapped because mm. they want to invest in alternative energy, mm. renewable energy, but you and I know that when you look at some solar or whatever, you'll be lucky to get a double digit return on IR. Mm. So they say that, can we, in a way, in the intermediary before we t- fully transition into a fully renewable or whatever, can we amend the law or a, a framework, the, definition, the so. definition that allow uh, this to be considered greener? I was, I was, I was laughing. I nice. was literally laughing when I saw this. There's one. Second thing on specifically on Hibiscus is I think uh, the point that you mentioned about how do you define PSC. So mm. uh, I actually worked on a f- uh, few fields that were actually taken back by Petronas. Mm. And uh, it was so funny that I, I met uh, Peter last week. I had a four-hour chat with him about all the, the projects that we used to, used to work on. The thing is this. If your field is very, very profitable and mm. is in relatively good shape, Petronas wants to take it back. It's it's very, it's very it's yeah. business sense, man. Yeah. Right. But if the field is about to die, mm. and they realize that nope, I cannot be an A Asia, I mm. cannot be an A Asia lean mean operator. Mm. I rather have someone like Hibiscus come in and do it. Now, reasons very simple. One, I I don't know when uh, when I was away, did you guys talk about abandonment costs? Mm. Because uh, if you saw what Sapura sold uh, out uh, their assets, they they sold out nine million, you know, for. Mm a field that will literally bring them back, uh, uh, the, the production of a field will bring them profitability mm. within a year.
4: Mm.
2: Now, the reason why I wanna bring this up is that a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of mechanics that go behind the scenes of the PSC. Uh, while they, uh, what the reasons you pointed out are good for the extension, the other reason is really sometimes abandonment costs, yeah. just don't want don't, to don't bear. That, that's the reason why yeah. they just wanna say, hey, you settle it for me, mm. You can extract whatever you want, and you know, the last uh, bit that I want to add on, especially for hibiscus, I think um, is the nuance of it being a local company. Yeah, because if you have someone like Rex or whatever, how likely are there to, in a way, be localized capital markets here actually tap? And then you know, you and I we had this uh, phone conversation about. No, it was you or Sir Chai. Oh, no, it was me and you. We were talking about how Hibiscus struggled to raise mm. capital because the bankers couldn't understand, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. about understanding because the bankers don't actually understand how to categorize reserves. Mm. Sad to say that. Lah. I mean, mm. that, that's from my assumption. My, uh, and it is sad also that the capital markets in Malaysia, when we tap local capital, this is the deficiency or efficient. Uh, competence gap that we have here if you go to a norwegian bank or whatever they have you know finance start oil finance you know all these Mm. guys right they know how to evaluate reserves they know how to you know uh, make that kind and take that kind of risk you see do do you see that as a factor as well
0: that's probably a factor that they had in like you know raising finance i mean to be fair like the one of the biggest scandals in malaysia is also one of the problems was their oil reserve report oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yes, so yes, i yes, imagine yes. every single bank in malaysia is like yeah,
2: no, no no they don't no, want to no, touch no, this toxic. no no, yeah, no, yeah.
0: no, oil reserves report <laughs> for me unless you're petronas
2: yeah
0: so yeah i and then also the like also i remember i was reading like you know some of the the foreign Stop foreign oil and gas companies. Then people are writing about the research. They like, say, "Oh, this company is so cheap at just seven times earnings." Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, Hibiscus is two or three. Yeah. Know? Yes. So, yes. Uh, but that's that's the only real oil and gas play I'm I'm interested in doing now, Like yeah. the rest are all just a bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think
1: one thing that's been in the news as well. I mean, both in Malaysia and abroad as well is actually inflation. Mm. Right. Mm. Inflation is what well, I think the US at six percent. We had the broccoli saga, <laughs> right? Like yeah. vegetables are really expensive now, and this uh, whenever inflation starts to come in, then models of rate hikes start to come in, and yeah. we all know the different ways a rate hike can look mm. for a system with so much uh, liquidity, right? Mm. So, what are your overall thoughts about the inflation situation globally and the potential? Of uh, what was the word they keep using? Fat tapering. Oh, fat, uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Taper tantrum. Yeah, they always
4: a new
0: word. La. Yeah, taper tantrum. Yeah. I think one of my favorite phrases is from Lenin. Uh, there are decades when nothing happened, and then there are weeks when decades happened. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so from 2008.
1: He would know what he he caused it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah. So from 2008 to 2019, 10 years of like quantitative easing and inflation just refused to move. Yeah. I think what's his name? Howard Marks described mm. it as pushing on a string, you know, a string yeah. on a board and you push a string but the string is not moving obviously. Yeah. And then now, suddenly the inflation is going to come and then I wonder if you can stop it. Yes. So, obviously if you look, there's a very beautiful chart recently that showed the the number of, uh, what was it called? The, the amount of money printed to inflation and then plus the amount of like rate hikes that the I think Volker had to do or the Green span of I can't remember in the it 80s not Volcker. Volcker. Yeah, yeah, yeah and also 1920s when they started so it's um you know Volker had to push interest rates to like 25 percent or something just to stop the inflation from coming so we're now in a very interesting phase because the thing is that it's hard the thing is that even well the, the right phrase to use is I don't know mm. but um the interesting thing is that there's a lot of various factors affecting it mm. so you know it's, uh, it's also the shipping it's also the fact that people start, just started buying a lot of physical goods suddenly if you yeah. if you told the oil and if you told an airline there's inflation happening now i don't i don't feel the inflation yeah. <laughs> not much inflation feeling here but um so money all went into you know buying physical goods and then the ships, everything are all backlogged, and the backlog means people are willing to pay higher prices, Correct. this kind of thing. So there's a lot of factors that are affecting the inflation of this partic- of many particular classes of physical goods. But um it's hard to say how much of the current inflation is just, you know, money printing. I mean not how much are the, the, the correct was how much is due to money printing, how much is due the, to the weightage chain. is
2: due to supply of money. Yeah,
0: so it's too hard to say, but i have a feeling that you know that the 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 way things works is always that things will need to get a lot worse before the right action is taken so you know it's uh the, the only other exception is when it's a very popular thing to do like mm. printing money like mm. after you learn how to do it in 2008 2020 you print in just one month <laughs> but when it comes to removing printing money that's a very 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 painful thing to do Yeah. And it's I mean, because it's
1: like going cold turkey essentially yeah. right
0: correct so i am not sure how things are gonna end up you just but as an investor you know actually you have to think of ways around it but um what happens if inflation goes up and then you know so that's where you're
1: well, what, if, okay, what if we have a 1970s kind of situation right let's not <laughs> talk about pre-world war Two you know Germany right let's talk about 1970s where people had to line up for gas and Mm. things like that
0: well it's going to be a very interesting time um number one interest rates have a very unique way of affecting our psychology so number one if you ask like somebody yeah okay you buy government bonds you get five percent you buy stocks you get ten percent then okay an equal amount of people would want to buy government bonds and stocks Okay, then because for 5% risk to reward premium. Yeah. Now, if you ask somebody uh, the so let's say you, you get a, the proportion of 50-50 like that. Now let's say you move the interest rates to 1%. You tell somebody you buy government bonds, you get 1% interest rate. You buy stocks, you get 6% interest rates. Against 5% risk premium. Uh, then suddenly far more people will rather buy stock Correct. than yep. to buy the bond. Correct. Because everybody has a minimum return that they want. Correct. But obviously, what people also don't tell you is that when interest rates drop to one percent, the stock prices inflate like crazy. Correct. For many many years, uh. mm. So although one can argue that that's not the case for the tech companies because they do deserve that valuation. Yeah. Um, for now, maybe it'll be famous last words. <laughs> but um, so it comes. So so it comes back to here. So I do wonder. Like right now, everything is up. Um. What happens if there were to force interest rates up to... It's, it's too complex of a topic. Like, it's really too complex of a topic. But I would say that a lot of the alternative asset classes like private equity or even crypto is the result of low interest rates. Uh, When interest rates are high, nobody's thinking about stock markets. Actually, they're thinking about bonds. Correct. So that brings me to the question, if let's say interest rates for US treasuries go to like five percent or even ten percent i don't know if you'll ever hit ten percent but it might uh what's what's going to happen it's too hard of a question to answer because there's just too many hey, parts. Let, me, let me
1: ask this way then like why why is it so hard to continue the route of just printing printing money
0: well you're gonna have to find a very the thing is that printing money is a very bad thing for poor people. I see. That's a fundamental fact of life. Printing money is a horrible, horrible, horrible horrible thing for poor people. And it builds up. Like, you know, nobody looks to Venezuela and be like, that's the right place to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's a very, very bad thing for poor people. And then the rich, if you don't own foreign assets, is also very, very bad. Um, so... You know, inflate the, the because it's a fundamental fact that the salaries everything don't go up as fast as as fast as price of goods everything go up. Yeah. So, and inflation and 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 printing only helps people with assets. Uh, so the the I I I do wonder one question though, like. Maybe we can segue a little bit into crypto.
1: Yeah, perf- That's exactly what I was asking this <laughs> question, actually, because I knew I knew you would you would talk about it. Okay. And specifically, right, I just want to get a sense of if the Fed really starts raising interest rates, essentially it creates, it sucks out liquidity from all these uh asset classes that are even medium risk like stocks, so-called medium risk inverted mm-hmm. commerce go back <laughs> into bond and fix deposit and whatnot. Oh, but got for big gold. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, no, What's, actually they won't hold gold if,
2: uh, if it, I was Now uh, the idea is that they won't hold oh, gold. Sorry, I was thinking in low low interest. No, yeah, uh, yeah. When they're hiking, right? Yeah, hiking, that's the story yeah, yeah, right yeah correct,
0: yeah. What's the time now, by the way?
2: 4.15, okay.
1: yeah, so yeah. yeah. Anyway, just this, this is the last question already. So what do you think of all these riskier assets?
0: Okay, so the first question we need, okay, this is actually, Crypto is actually something that uh, I've been thinking about a lot for a long time. I've not touched anything, but I thought about it for a long time. Because um, if you think, of, let me say, lah, okay, if I want to sell you a stock called Hibiscus or whatever, MFCB or whatever, I'm sure I can put out a thesis for you that will get you to understand immediately. And then you will go and say, okay, I will buy because I like your thesis or I won't buy despite understanding your thesis because uh, I have better opportunities. Okay, perfectly fair, right? And then there's some small section that say I won't buy because I'm just either too fully, I, I, I just don't understand or I'm just not interested in all I get. So hmm. I suppose you can call that an, 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 an irrational element. Now, when it comes to crypto, the problem is for this topic, there is no middle ground available huh. you you are either a genius or you are a fool crypto is either the next coming of God mm. or web three as I like to call it now or it's red poison depending yep. on who you ask mm. now so why is that the case so for a very 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 long time I thought about crypto okay so I, I tried to go, I mean I I, I don't I, I wouldn't say I know crypto better than most people who study crypto all the time because the thing is that I don't spend that much time, just occasionally, some days I'll be like, I need to really study this thing and then mm. I, I dive into it. And then after that, etc. But I will just point a few things. Okay. Um what are the, the mechanics to frying a stock? Liqu-
1: liquidity.
2: Liquidity. Uh news parties acting in concert no. market makers ah. market okay maker. but
0: what are the mechanics what exactly do you need to fry this stock up to 500 percent? like what precisely do you need what are the ingredients quantitatively mm. the volume
3: right
2: volume, Trade volume. no
0: quantitatively like tell me how much money you need in order to fry this stock up to a market cap let's say i will tell you this stock now has a market cap of 100 million i mm. want to fry it to one billion mm. Or what's the name? Focus something, or what's the other one? Data prep.
2: Or oh, data prep. Let's
0: say we, we start. I have a 100 million company on a fry to 1 billion Ringgit. Mm. Okay. How much money do you need for what amount of free float?
2: You have to define the free float first, huh? then only. I...
0: Okay. So let's say we define a 20% free float, and then we have a end market million, cap. Right? Yeah. And then end market cap of 100 billion that you want to hit.
1: 100 billion?
0: 1 mm. billion. You start with 100 million, you end so 10x, with 1 so. billion. 10x la, you want to 10X the stock. La. Yeah. So you want to hit about 10 million. You want to hit about 100 million. Uh, 1 billion. Uh, 1 billion. 10, okay. 10 times the 1 market value today. Yeah. And then you have, the starting market value actually doesn't matter so much. La, mm. But the the end value and then plus current float of 20%. Like mm. How much money do you need?
1: 200 million. 200 million. 20%, right? 20% mark. on 1 billion. On
2: 1 billion. So actually float- less, less than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah than definitely, that. yeah, for sure. So but how I'm just much using quantitative. How much right? would you say? At a 100 million uh, market cap today,
0: right? Yeah.
2: 20% free float. Probably 20 million.
0: Correct. Mm. Precisely right. Yeah. In order to fry up a stock to whatever amount you want, you need, and assuming 20% free float, you need approximately 05 to 2% of cash at hand yes. to do that. Okay. Now let's so now let's think about the, the the stocks. So so okay. Okay. So if you look at uh so you, despite many, many regulation uh, people have managed to do this with BlueMont, oh Long, yeah, yep. Asia Sun, yeah, John 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 So and then Malaysia, we have your data prep. Still don't know who's behind it, <laughs> tech Berhad, yeah, focus, etc. Okay. Now despite an insane amount of regulation in the by the banking industry, by the securities commission. commission, by the bursars themselves. That you can still do things like this mm. today in today's market in Malaysia and Singapore markets. Mm. Like I don't even know the other foreign ones. There's just too many to list. Now let's look at it from a crypto perspective. Now the so and obviously these are stocks where very high turnovers etc. So now let's look at it from a crypto perspective. Uh, let me pull my numbers.
2: your phone is on the floor no no no. there there on the right it's on the floor
4: got
0: it yeah this was uh some this was quite some time back Mm -hmm. but it's fine uh let's see okay now so so now um okay so let's talk about like cryptocurrencies in general okay um Tether is this stable coin, mm. okay? So everybody says that this is a stable, this is a coin, which means that it's worth it's backed by one U.S. dollar per coin. Mm. Okay. Now, if you look at the tether, and it's currently one of the largest coins in the world. Uh.
2: Stable coin is the largest uh. Yeah, stable coin. Is the okay.
0: What? But if you look at the turnover rates for, okay, so if I'm not mistaken, uh, the turnover for all cryptocurrencies, the the total market cap of all cryptocurrencies in the world. Back sometime in, because I did this study in like October or something, it was something like 2 trillion.
1: Yeah, mm. today is about 3, before uh,
0: or Three, 3 or whatever. Yeah, so 2 trillion. Now back then, the turnover for cryptos in the world was something around like 100 billion US dollars mm. per day. Okay. Now, so that gives you a turnover of around 5%? Yeah. Correct. Yep. 5%. Now, if you look at total assets in the world, like total stock assets in the world, and then you look at the turnover. Total stock assets in the world is something like 30 trillion. Mm. And then turnover is something like 10%. Uh, sorry, something like 10 billion. No, no, sorry. Cannot be 10 billion. 30, 30 billion. 30 la. billion,
2: also. 10% of the asset size. La.
0: No, 30 trillion. So it's about 30, 30 billion in, in turnover. Mm. So the turnover for stocks is 0.1%. Okay. So what we're saying here is that the trading volume for crypto is around uh 50 times or more that of a normal stock and mm, people yep. already say stock brokers have uh stock investors have a low have a short mind span in terms of investing mm. so that means stocks. that means when people trade crypto is a lot shorter the, mm. the the thing that just caught my eye so much is that i i i play poker a lot and then a lot of the people in the poker community are huge crypto yep. people mm. i remember there's this guy duck poke he's also one of a big crypto guy he has about 33 percent of his assets in crypto which a lot of people will say is too low la, i suppose but he, I remember he was talking about crypto a lot. And then he said, oh, there was one time in 2018 when Bitcoin started to fall. And he go, oh, shit, I was, I didn't have a laptop. And then I was like, I need my laptop now because I need to do some selling. And the thing that was so shocking to me was that he's such a big crypto proponent. And yet when the price is cracking like 10%, he's mm. like, I need to sell. And something. he's
1: not a dumb guy. Obviously, he's a poker player, right? Yeah. So he, yeah. he calculates calculate odds.
0: Yeah. So... Um, so now coming from here so that's the one thing i want to point out there's a huge amount of volume trading volume now back then when i was studying it the trading volume is 100 billion guess how if you were to split those trading volume up by by components uh, tether has a trading volume of around 70 billion which is about 70 percent correct yeah 70 percent. correct and this is despite only being three percent of the total crypto market cap cap Mm. Would you say that that's a significant... Oh, that's a very sure, significant yeah. gap? Yeah. Is, yes. Okay. So now, let's go back to the second question then. So what is Tether? You know, Tether is a stable coin backed by every single coin. But if you go into... Every single coin is backed by one US dollar in reserve. That's what they say very clearly. But if you go into the uh, terms and documents, Tether says a few things very clearly. Number one, if you were to deposit money to Tether, they are not required legally to <laughs> pay you back if you were to ask for the money. Mm. That's a fact in their terms and conditions when you when you read it. That's the first one. Number two, when you want to withdraw the money, regardless of any amount of title that you withdraw, you will be charged a lower of zero point one percent or one thousand US dollars. Highest transaction fees in the world if you want to withdraw. Mm. So that means you think about the amount of people who can withdraw that. Like for you to make it worth it for you to withdraw, you need to withdraw probably at least hundred to two hundred thousand US dollars. That automatically writes off 99% of people. Mm. That means for 99% of people, the only way you get to withdraw money is P2P. Mm. Okay, Correct. That's the second point. Now, so the third question would be, is status reserves backed by purely cash? <laughs> and let's just put it this way. Um, they Just based off management's own words, only 73% is backed by cash. Mm. Okay, the rest is backed by cryptocurrencies. And that's just of management's own words. And these are the guys who were banned by the U.S. and the New York from ever putting, from ever doing securities trading or whatever in, in the state of New York. Now imagine this: uh, this currency is the backbone of all cryptocurrencies. People may agree or disagree with the statement because of trading volume, but this com- this guy, this company is run by people who are not allowed to to do securities trading in the U.S. at all. Mm. Okay, now so. There's also a white paper out there that states very clearly, there are days when there was no tether bought deposited. And, this, and then when they wanted to prove their reserves, right, what happened was that because they have no bank account, so what happens is that they tell the guys, okay, this is the bank account our reserves is at. So the day before they're supposed to prove the reserves, the money comes in from, what was their platform? Binance? No no no, 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 no. Uh... I can't remember the name is of it. Is it Coinbase? D- no, I don't it's think not, so. It's not Coinbase. It's the other one. Uh, Bitfinex or... Bitfinex, uh, Bitfinex. Uh, Bitfinex. Correct. Yes, 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 yes. The day before the they were supposed to prove the reserves, the money is transferred from Bitfinex bank accounts to Tether bank accounts and then they say, this is our 73% backed in cash. Mm. And then the day directly after it is proven, the money goes back to Bitfinex accounts. Mm. Okay, so that's one. I mean, that's already for me a huge sign. Uh. So now the second question here is, there's also been proven very clearly that Tether has been printed to buy cryptos. Mm. On days when there was no tether, there was no deposits in, tether was printed to buy cryptos in order to support the market. Now, if you look at tether market caps uh, in terms of like before 2020, it was something like uh, 5 billion or less.
2: Today is I think 70. Today is 70. 70 billion, yeah.
0: Yeah, so at at around, I I don't know if it's it's around 10 billion or whatever. Mm. 10 10 to 15 billion, if I remember correctly, before 2020. Before 2020, there was around 15 billion worth of tether. Mm. And back then, the peak price that you could push Bitcoin to was around 20,000 US dollars. Today, there is around 70 billion, 75, 77 billion tethers out there. And then the peak price you could push Bitcoin to is 60,000 dollars per Mm. per Bitcoin. Now, and incidentally, you remember we said just now that in order to pump a certain stock, you need around one5 to
2: 2%. Yes. Correct. For the free float. Yes, based on the free Ooh, float. 10X. Like, uh, yep. mm. Correct.
0: Yeah. Now, Tether is around 3% of all, of all cryptocurrencies. That's mm. one. Number two, you literally can't take money out of Tether. Mm. And then number three, um, the free float for cryptocurrencies is how many percent?
1: There's n- free float. I mean, I mean, you will considering all stable coins is it
0: no free float if i'm not mistaken when i did the study on free float free float of cryptocurrencies is less than 20 percent if you exclude like the top 10 percent of holders like oh. past a certain amount of balance like free float is like less than 20 percent
1: but what's the sorry what's the criteria like so for yeah, example what, 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 we yeah, like so in we, stocks there's like top 30 shoulders, mm. right so it's yours so the if same you definition. Take, let's say
0: cryptocurrencies people with more than 1 million usd Oh. The free float is like less than
2: uh, the the big whales la, I think he's referring to if you net out the big whales
0: or probably the validators What's the, the, free, whale, float? What's the free float? Yeah. Well
1: that's a that's a hard one la. Yeah. But it's it's findable. Yeah. yeah, it's findable. But
0: when based on what I read, they yep. say it was something something like less than twenty percent. Mm. So now obviously just because it squarks like a duck does not mm. mean it's a duck. It mm. could be just a very unique man, you know, squawking like a duck for mm. no reason. Mm. So the the second point I tried to figure out was that what is a use case for cryptocurrencies so the at the end of the day the only real use case i could come up with is that if you really really want to monetize something Mm. while avoiding as much of the traditional banking system as well as your traditional regulations that comes to banks or securities all this kind of stuff then there's nothing better than crypto Mm. There's really nothing better than crypto. And, and so, because if you think about, like, let's say now they're doing Web3, they say it's owned by Descent. The, 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 because it's also very interesting, because I was thinking about video games, like the different kind of video games. Now, if you think about, like, let's say like the normal modern video games, if you like to play Ragnarok today, the only way you can spend money in this game is you cannot actually buy things from other people because they don't want the money to go out of the system. So what happens is that you can only buy things from their app and then all your goods is locked to your character and the only way to sell your goods is to sell your character. Mm. Okay. Now, for crypto games, it's a bit different because all the coins that are supposed to be printed has been printed today. Okay, You're never going to print more coins. So the only way for the value of the game to go up is if the value of the coins go up. Mm. And the only way for the value of coins to go up is to have more demand for your game. That means more attention spent on your game. And then if people think that your game has a if the 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 digital assets have a monetary value, it's less likely for them to sell, et cetera. Correct. Yeah. So based on this, they're actually the right way to make a crypto game is to, you know, create the game and then get as much attention as possible. And if you think about and if you look at the attention for video games in crypto versus in normal, like you go to a blizzard con, right? Mm. Like you will find a lot more criticism than, than praise. <laughs> well, if you go to like any crypto game, the the Discord channel, you'll find a lot more praise than Discord la. Mm. So, um, you know, there's actually a Malaysian one where they basically copied Mobile Legends and then just using three YouTube videos, they now have a market cap of like four hundred fifty million US wow. dollars. Wow. So, but so so now the question here is this. So now people like to say. So the question here that I wonder to myself is this. Okay, the thing is that people say, "Oh, market is always up, etc., etc." and crypto, but here's the question I ask people: Oh, but have you ever taken your money out from crypto before, mm. or at least all of your money out from crypto before? Um, and then they say, "Yes, yes, I take it out and I put it in tether or what's the the other coin for that's under Terra one? Uh, UST, US, USD, UST. UST. UST, UST, yes, US Terra, or they say to UST, which is backed by Terra capitalization, yep. all that kind of stuff. Yep. Mm.
2: Oh, he maybe he was referring to USDC, I think. No, 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 it's USD. Because he's talking about the, yeah. the yeah. burning mechanism. Now there's a okay. few
0: more stable coins. Uh, Binance, mm. come up with their own stable coin, Yeah, USD, mm. yeah, I'm correct. So I asked myself, these guys, they, when they say they have taken out money from crypto before, they have never taken it out before. Like into fiat, la, into is that fiat, what you're la. saying? Yeah, it out fiat, to fiat. Yeah. They've only taken it out to Tether. And Tether prints coins to buy crypto. crypto yeah. By their own words, they mm. print coins to buy crypto so now if you have this space when there's no regulation whatsoever and you can do whatever you want imagine if malaysia stocks they let you do as much mou as you want what would happen so coming back to cryptocurrencies i tried to think really really hard on a real use case for it and other than when it comes to if i want to monetize something without avoid while avoiding as much of the banking system as possible i actually cannot think of a use case that's just as well it comes it always comes out to a compute problem or storage problem in terms of it being a more efficient solution versus current products mm. and then there's this tether thing which you know backs the question but then it comes down to the second question let's say if inflation does go up and then interest rates does go to let's say lah, huh, USD goes to 10 percent interest rates and if let's say people in crypto start to go, let's say they go, you know what? I, a lot of, let's say you, a lot of them have like, oh, I have this obscene amount of money in crypto. Uh, the crypto has been dropping. Let's take 30% of my net worth out and put it into USD bonds DT, or oh, whatever. Oh, oh, uh, f- fiat, fiat assets. Yeah, yeah, yeah Fiat, okay, fiat, okay, fiat right, assets, USD bonds or whatever and make the 10% there peacefully. I really wonder Can the P2P market really take that amount of outflow? Mm. So that's really my big question. Like, it would be very interesting if USDT cracks 95. It's never cracked 95 for long. I mean, the only time it cracked 95 was in in 2016 or 2015. There was one time when they were like, oh, USDT was the backing is is, lacks like 483 million US dollars, something like that but currently that it has never backed 99 cents before Mm. so I do wonder to myself what will happen if it cracks 95 so uh, I have no so so I I don't know but the 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 I do derive a certain comfort in this in that people like because right now I'm I'm obviously at the side of where I can be either where there's a good not that there's a decent chance I'm completely wrong okay and then this thing is the next coming of whatever but I think to myself uh, if I was from five which is like 2007 or something and you told me YouTube is going to change the world Mm. in terms of like how things will be consumed online or Netflix Netflix wasn't didn't exist then but you tell me the shows can be streamed on there I don't think it would have been very difficult for me to believe you and say yes, I agree, because mm. I myself was using YouTube and I can see how much better is it. But it's just a clear, clearly a better use case. But if it's crypto, I I I I just fail to find one use case where it is better for the for the it is a better solution than the other one, if not for the fact you want to monetize while avoiding as much regulation as possible. Mm. Mm. like even the other day we were talking I was I found this one where it's like a decentralized VPN that kind of stuff okay it's a very interesting decentralized VPN because the, the the only real use case for me was that if you need a VPN that decentralized and literally because even in today in China you can use any VP, you can you can use VPNs you see mm. so what use case do you have that you literally cannot use any other VPN provider other than this one well, I suppose if you sell drugs or child pornography, la, then, then yes, you do need a decentralized VPN. La. But so the, the thing is that for me, the, the use cases are too...
1: Too specific, narrow. Yeah, too narrow, yeah.
0: The, enough to be monetizable. But, you know, I I know for a fact that now the biggest poker games in the world, like where they play buy-ins, let's say 10 million US mm-hmm. dollars and you're a billionaire and you come in, the, the game is all run on Bitcoin. La. Because let's say for because there's this guy, Alec like Gores. It's part of Gores group who popularized the spark kind of structures SPAC, and then he there's another guy called andy bill who owns bill bank in the us mm. so andy bill lost to alec Gorez around 600 million us mm. dollars so when andy bill transferred 600 million us dollars to alec Gorez, alec Gorez got a tax bill of 350 million us dollars crazy <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so after that all the games are all in usdt or in all this etc bitcoin mm. so yeah, there's a real use case in that, but I, I find very little other use cases, huh? successful use cases for the future.
1: Mm. Or at least better. La. I mean, there might be some, like you said, the decentralized VPN, but maybe uh, not as. I, I,
0: like, even if, like, the other one I was thinking was like, you know, now I think I think Terra is doing this. Where we're trying to come up with a decentralized wallet where you can use any currency in the world, actually, yeah. yeah. But isn't that, what? how would that be better than if the. Chinese government come up with the uh, digital
1: the CDBC thing, yeah,
0: it? digital yuan, and then the and then obviously they allow digital yuan to be converted to RM or whatever and directly pull out your yeah. bank account. Correct. It's much easier for them to get the approvals, and then a lot of very few countries are there to say no to them la. And then you know you can keep your money in Chinese yuan, and then people can accept from that etc. So, I I find it difficult to find and and the thing is that in order to I don't know. I feel like for a lot of things to be run efficiently, it's gonna be a centralized and like even if today you people say that the Bitcoin foundation is decentralized or whatever, but it is still controlled by the amount of people who hold the most computation and the most coins. Yeah, it's right?
1: yeah. Mm. the 51% yeah. issue like everyone's talking yeah. about.
0: So end of the day, it's still held by a controlled set of people. So what's the so that's that's it for but I'm always struggling to find new use cases uh, because there are too many intelligent people telling me that, you know, it's it's is the future but it's just I mean I suppose for video games it can because it does unleash a new niche where people literally play because they want to earn money Mm. but it does make me wonder how will you attract the the you you need to constantly attract new attention you see so maybe it'll be another game as big as Wow, but I have no idea Mm. hey man difficult
1: wow um interesting thoughts um i don't know anything anything you're to add i know no. you
0: guys have a have a quite a big not big like, i suppose you guys are quite interested in crypto but well, yeah. created a channel i yeah, mean you I mentioned Terra, you know, yeah, we are into yeah. Terra. so i mean
3: for,
1: for us the the infrastructure is being built i think that's the thing because uh when you assess um what crypto is trying to do is to lay a lot of the infrastructure. So for example, um, your point about regulations or that, um, Mm. although it is one function, it is a huge function actually, because it's like saying, well, the crypto is great because the financial regulations are non-existent. Mm -hmm. But then in finance, there are many functions, right? So you need a lending and borrowing function you need a an exchange function like to swap assets. Correct. You need a um, fund management functions, right? So H fund functions like in crypto, they're quite yield aggregator. So what the current level of development is is there. And the recent boom in crypto gaming and its you know other its half brother NFTs mm. um, is going to Essentially bring in the digital ownership economy. Right. And right now, because crypto is a very young thing, so obviously the in things are like cool art and gaming, gaming uh characters. Because mm. like so, if you play WoW, for example, right? Yeah, you say you have a character, you buy items and all that, but the items and the character don't actually belong to you. Yep. Mm. It belongs to Blizzard. It's like Blizzard loaning you. The I mean,
0: isn't that the same for like if you were to own like I say, what's the name of that thing? Uh, what's the most the most popular Xie- X? Infinity, yeah, yeah. yeah. XC Infinity is kind of like Blizzard loans you that char- like X Infinity to an extent loans you the character as long as the servers keep running, man. If the servers die, for sure.
1: But for example, you can't list out your. Uh, there's no like marketplace. I mean, there might be marketplaces for wild characters, but the if okay, let's say in the future, right? There is a there is a game mm. that allows you. Let's call it uh, Smiley Infinity by <laughs> some other some other company. And what happens is that hey, the X Infinity guys, you know, the the axes that you have. Is uh you know you can join it or connect it to like this bigger character, or maybe your Axie infinity now can become pets mm. in this game, or it can become uh uh like something. Yeah. So you can actually migrate these items over right now. It's not just something that operates within that ecosystem.
0: Now obviously right now the infrastructure is
1: not there, right? It's too far away.
0: I, I would agree that that's why I say the other part is gaming, because again, yeah. If it's like I said, you're avoiding a lot of the usual. I mean, if Blizzard wanted to make the uh, items like interchangeable for cash at any point in time and then you can act, withdraw from Blizzard, the amount of regulations they have to go through is just insane. Okay? Uh, exactly. But also, I suppose it comes down to, you know, this... Uh, have you used Oculus before? No, I haven't. Have used- I, I,
2: I will get motion sickness. Uh. That's why I couldn't be a pilot. That's why I... I, I first person shooter games and all that. I, I I've, you No, we've used it before. You forgot.
1: Uh, we At use that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, we used it
2: once for the basketball game and the, uh, yeah, we, I, I, but I. But that
1: one was more for like a architecture function, meaning yeah, like, yeah. they wanted to show us a room so yeah, they use Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, was it Oculus, Oculus, right? Yeah, okay, it was yeah.
0: Oculus, yes. Yeah. I, I recently went with a friend to try out Oculus. Uh-huh. And then he bought one and then he used it for about two hours and stopped using it until now. Uh-huh. The thing about this metaverse is that like, for the people to like currently the metaverse for me it feels like using a Palm Pilot in 1998 Mm. like the use case is that bad for me but doesn't change the fact that our phones now are like some super Palm Pilot Mm. so um but it's like trying to build an infrastructure around Palm Pilot while you have Palm Pilot Mm, yeah so that's, uh, that's a really difficult one. But when the Palm Pilot does come out, what makes you think it's not an Apple Inc. that's going to own <laughs> So So, um, I don't know. It's,
1: it's a, It's never no ending conversation. Uh, for sure.
2: Put it this way, I think uh, maybe to sum it up, um, for every new evolution or every new adoption, you, you look at today, even the fiat currency, isn't a, it, it's not a very old thing, you know? It, it's probably what, 100 yeah. years, 200 years kind of system. And they were um, things- is it
0: thousands of years? Fiat? fiat. I
2: suppose non gold, you mean non gold back, ah, is it? Ah, n- ah, non gold back, yes. No, I mean, even in fiat, is it thousand? Let me think. No, ah. I mean,
1: It depends on how, what you want to define, define fiat as, because for example, touch and go is
2: fiat. Yeah. What
0: what about Roman coins?
2: Or if you define that that far, then it will be thousands of years. But as a currency function, um, what is it meant to serve and how it has evolved? uh, Every time a new evolution comes into play, right? There is always an experimental phase where infrastructures need to be built. There's always meant to be an experimentation phase where uh, there are some... For the lack of a better word scams or, or what do you call it hypes or things that do not work out and do not pan out in the in, in the long run but i think in any any case how i would look at it is that um not just looking at it on the surface layer
0: let's let's take one step back okay if i move you back to 1999 mm. and i told you that in the future you buy the buy goods online mm. would it be very hard to convince you
2: but if you take you all the way back to 1970s when the infrastructure was not
0: there. When there's no internet. Yeah. Then it would be very difficult, you see. So, so so because in the so for example, for the 1970s to reach to 1999 mm. and then for it to actually become mainstream in 2016, what happened was the shrinking of semiconductors. Correct. Okay, so we need a lot more computing power and a lot cheaper in order yep. to achieve that. Mm. Do you think this is a similar case for cryptocurrencies? Because right now, the crypto world, the main problem is that Everything is similar to the real world, except that there's more compute needed, more storage you needed. Know? Mm. Who do you store it with? Do you saw on the decentralized means means what? And then it's like, you know, basically compute storage and yeah. So mm.
1: I don't think I actually don't think the is tech it, is the issue. Do you think it's
0: a compute problem? No, no, because if
1: you look at when Bitcoin came out, right, and they started with poor, poor work consensus, it was very clunky, it was very old Correct. way of validating notes, uh, expensive, you know you know, not very green. Then when Ethereum came along and as he is trying to evolve he's That's moving right. to a proof of stake and then now all of the
0: have them moved um, in the proof of stake? They are,
1: they are moving there. So what they're doing is they're building uh, layer 2 is what we call which is scaling solutions. Uh. We won't get into it right now because it's mm. very complicated but the what has been dubbed the Ethereum killers right? Um, <laughs>
2: the Cardano, Solana. Uh,
1: no, so Sol- 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 Vex, So Solana Terra and Avex. These are the three leading yeah. the charge. There's actually a lot of others, but these are the three leading the charge. What these the- guys have done mm. essentially is to create um validate nodes to sustain the blockchain with a lot less resources. Energies, a lot less resources, right? So like what you need in the past, right, is to have many mining machines. Correct. So you need a warehouse, you need electricity and all that. Now what you need are GPUs essentially to Wouldn't store it? data actually. Because when you validate a node, you need to store a lot of these datas. So it is expensive in that regard, but it's not as expensive Isn't as- Isn't
0: it just resulting in more centralization?
1: Yeah, so 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 you raise a very good point. So actually what is happening now is that um, as Bitcoin dominance starts to reduce, so does the narrative of decentralization. Correct, and this is something that I've always uh, believed. So the in.
0: end result is WeChat lah, uh,
1: but except global uh, Except global, and <laughs> way more flexible, and without Chinese laws. Without Chinese laws, yes. So, so it, it, think of it this way, right? Um, the people who believe in a decentralization narrative, five to ten percent of the U.S. populations, i.e., libertarians. Yeah, that's thirty million people. Thirty million people, uh, not enough to bring an alternative asset class. Nope. To challenge the traditional asset classes, so how do you get the non-libertarians to hop onto crypto? The only way is convenience. The only way is making money that's Frictionless.
2: The only uh, there exactly is
1: good UI UX things URU, like that.
2: and you have an asset asset class that actually use them. Some kind of a cash flow, some kind yeah. of a capex appreciation, a capital appreciation. Yeah. You see,
1: basically money, convenience, correct, and all that. Correct. So what all these other Ethereum killers are essentially doing is to say that, that decentralization narrative, like I don't know how many um, validators there are on Bitcoin and Ethereum. I need to check, but you know, something like Terra has 100, only 130. Avex has 786.
0: Okay, I get your points. Yeah, I only have around half an hour. Yeah, so let me sure. just give... One final point. Sure, okay. I wanted to talk about this because it also ties into this actually, yep. which was the various types of luxury goods, mm. ah. and oddly it ties into this. But uh, I can't go the full stretch. But what's going to happen? But what's what I'm going to just say is this. So, what happened with the proponent of one thing? The internet really changed, is that it really really taught people data is not data is not the next goal data is not the next oil. Mm. The next oil is human attention. Mm, Agree. Okay, so the internet allowed people to really monetize human attention. So if you look at just a simple one, people like Logan Paul would be a gas station attendant if not for the fact for the internet that allowed him to monetize attention like crazy. And if you think about that little child, you know, the four-year-old boy who reviews toys for a living and then makes like 15. That is precisely, and like you think about it, Every single parent in the world is putting their child and forcing them to watch YouTube because they're too tired. And that is the monetizable attention that you want. The child points and says, I want that toy. So now, what happened with this internet is also is that attention is obviously extremely non-linear and internet makes it a lot more non-linear. So for example, a lot of brands like Rolex become hyper brands. Mm. If I bring you back 20 years ago and you ask how many people really know Rolex, I would say a significant, more than 50% of the population won't know what Rolex is. Mm. Yep. Today, everybody knows what the hell a Rolex is. Mm. You can ask an auntie in Kampong, Malawang, yep. wherever they will know. So brands become hyper brands. While for new brands to pop up, it's easier than ever. But for them to die down, it's also easier than ever, etc. Mm. So this was the question that I was asking myself. If, human attention has a, if you understand the fact that human attention has a value, hmm. you would understand that crypto has a value as well because crypto, nothing, nothing will ever change the fact that if let's say tomorrow interest rates goes up to 30% and then Bitcoin drops to $2,000 let's say uh, and then interest rates maintain at that level for quite some time then let's say 20 years from now for some reason let's say Bitcoin is still there and then the government drops interest rates to 0% I guarantee you first thing to go up will be Bitcoin. Yep. because it doesn't change the fact that human attention is aware of this etc mm. okay so i was talking with my friend i said okay if you're willing to invest in lvmh because it is now a hyper brand and let's say i cut lvmh price to half and you invest in it because it's a hyper brand and, and then i ask you what makes you think this thing will continue to make this amount of money and you just go well it has a mind share of people and people associate LVMH to this and therefore they want to own it Mm. okay and therefore I will invest in it if that's the case why not buy Bitcoin Mm. then it keeps quiet because that's the really the difficult answer to answer and that's also for me Mm. so I guess for me the question is just like if you're gonna invest in cryptocurrencies in general you want to look at where the human attention is in terms of proportion and can it go higher and um, if you're talking about excluding use case uh, but use case like for example if we're talking about globalized e-wallet i mean first is that you need to assume that people let's say you have a let's say you have a globalized e-wallet that links fiat to crypto okay and not just one crypto but various coins let's say you pick at least you need at least like 20 coins i suppose Mm. now for this thing to be accepted everywhere else, first thing it needs to do is that you need to be able to sell this coin into any fiat currency you want in the world and then use that fiat currency and go directly from exchange to to vendor. And so you still have to use the MasterCard Visa unless you go and be like, this vendor needs to accept anything that is not, needs to accept non-crypto mm. they need to accept Solana or Eti- I mean in theory the first step where you can go from 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 e to you can go from like coin to cash you can do it via a, via a coinbase app right
1: mm, yeah
0: it's just a matter of the app to cash yep. where via visa that's a bit difficult because the the coinbase doesn't have visa linkages themselves so it's more like to move to your bank account etc but so the next step is that you need to go okay this country needs to accept crypto as a main currency. Well that is like telling every single government in the world to give up on your own currency la, Yep. And to give up power on your own currency because there's no country that will ever do that unless you are your currency is shit la. So when so which is currently the the countries that do crypto today Venezuela and then that guy San El, Marino,
2: El, El Salvador
0: El Salvador sorry. Yep. And then all these hyperinflation countries. So in those countries yes I will perfectly understand why they will ignore their own currencies. But you know, like I said, I have no idea. This is too complex of a topic. Uh, the world is changing too much. Interest rates could go up and go down mm. by factors of 10.
1: Yep. All right, man. Look, uh, thank you so much once again. Uh, always a pleasure chatting with you, mm. right? Um. Yeah, you know, like without your blog now, where, where can people find you? Or do you want to be found at all?
0: You can find me on my blog. My email is still there and then okay. people can send me a, message on email. Mm. I, I take a while to, re, to respond these days because I don't open the email much, but I do respond at some point.
4: Mm.
1: All right, man. Great. Uh, I need, I need fun. No. All right, man. Uh, Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, uh, thank you, John. Looking forward to next sessions as always. Yeah. And uh, guys, again, like this sort of content, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a like, comment, and subscribe. Click on the bell so that you know when new videos come out for you. And see you in the next pod. Stay safe, guys.